Welcome to SkyCast episode 47, a podcast dedicated to all things The 100. I'm Brittany Perlman. And I'm Sarah McCabe. And today we'll be discussing season 7, episode 4, Hesperides. So. Yes. What did we think about this episode? So actually for me, um, this was the first episode this season that I really felt my spark come back for this show um you know like there obviously were things that I liked about the other three episodes but this season was just feeling off for me in several ways and it almost was becoming a chore at some points you know what I mean but this was the first episode where I got like really excited to talk about this um and I was I was really excited to watch it and there were so many moments that I loved and this episode wasn't perfect by any means um but this for me was like this feels like where the season is really starting yeah no I agree um I really really enjoyed this episode I don't think I loved it to the extent that you did only because as we've discussed offline many times you and I have very different priorities and what we're looking for in an episode of the hundred and while I loved a lot of things about this episode I also agree that this season has felt a little off and I think I mean I haven't been shy about it it's because of Bellamy <laughs> and this you know there was many moments in this episode that felt like there was like a Bellamy shaped hole at the center of it um and I just I don't think I can fully embrace an episode where he's missing mm-hmm. I think and also there's just so many the world is in such a horribly weird uh, and stressful place that like no matter you know even the first time I watched it I was really emotional I was just like not in the right mindset to be taking in this kind of content the second time I watched it I think I felt a little better but I'm still having a hard time like watching and ingesting any media without like current events like coloring everything that I do and so because of that like I'm trying to be as agnostic and unbiased as possible but like there's no way to to help what the outside world like bleeds into how I how I'm feeling not necessarily about this episode but just like in general and so I think I'm I'm less inclined to be excited um than I normally am if that makes sense sure no I get that um I wouldn't I'm much better compartmentalizer than you, so well, I for can't me, compartmentalize at all. Exa- so. I mean, but I'm like pretty good at it. So for me, it was it's pretty easy to view the show as the show. Um, but I do think you're right that part of it this season why it feels so odd is because Bellamy is missing. Um, but the other part for me has just been it's like we're watching two different shows, two different storylines, yeah. you know, um, and they weren't connected at all. And so this was the first episode where it's like finally the threads are starting to come together. Oh, absolutely. It was um, 100% a step in the right direction. And I I there was a lot of this episode that was really exciting and wonderful, like truly wonderful. I'm not in any way saying this was my favorite episode ever. No, I'm no. just saying this was the episode out of this season that has the first one that's got me excited. So Yeah. Yeah, I'm not not excited. Mm-hmm. I'm just not as excited as you are. <laughs> all right. Um, Before we get into the recap, please take a moment and go rate and review us on iTunes. It helps other fans of The 100 find us. Um, So please go do that right now and then come back. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. All right. Let's get into the recap. Okay. So after Dioza and Octavia are taken, Hope is alone until a Bardoan man named Dev shows up on Skyring with a 10-year sentence to serve. He and Hope grow close and Dev trains her on how to go to Bardo and save her family once his sentence is up. But when that day comes, Hope hesitates to kill and Dev is killed in her place. Then Hope leaves and goes into the anomaly. 
Flashing forward, Gabriel's interrogating Orlando, but Hope tells them to stop, and Orlando runs, runs off. Hope says that they'll need him if they have any chance of saving their friends. So first off, hello, Dev. Hello. <laughs> Where have you been all my life? Seriously. Like, holy shit. <laughs> what a waste to cast that man and then kill him off. In ten like, minutes later. Ten minutes. Two. I'm sorry, two. Two, two minutes. minutes. It felt like ten minutes. <laughs> um, yeah. This whole thing was, this montage at the beginning was magical. Like, there's no other word for it. It was it was perfect storytelling. And it was, it was like the first ten minutes of Up. Like, you don't need any dialogue. You can just show, watch this short story and feel the emotional impact of it. I mean, it was a gift. I absolutely loved it. Um, this was easily one of the more emotional sequences of The 100 for me, which is pretty wild because it's about two characters that we barely know. You know, like Hope, we've only met a couple of episodes ago, and Dev, we met literally now. So. Well, it's just like there are some things that are universal right there are mm-hmm. things that you you don't need to have a lot of context for and like being young and being alone is terrifying for everybody and like finding finding a friend and like having someone to bond with and grow up with is like that is a universal language of love like it was just magic guys it was magic it I was. loved it and it was a perfect example of showing and not telling like we see them grow together and bond and like this is why this is this is so effective is because we can see all the like beats of their stories together and even though there is like a, a a flash forward you know where we see hope grown we feel their connection because we can see how they grew together mm-hmm. and why finding each other in this place was so significant yeah plus he was hot and he was so <laughs> hot i mean that's not something we wrote in the show notes, but I will just say personally, like he showed up and I was like, oh, damn, I wish Hope was older yeah. because this would have been a perfect romance setup. Very into that. Yeah. But Hope was 10. So. <laughs> she was 10 and he obviously like he's an older brother figure. Yeah. So. Well, almost maybe a father figure because she never had a father, you know, maybe. Um, I do wonder what Dev did to land himself a 10 year sentence. Like we know it had to be worse than what Orlando did, which it's not that hard because Orlando just worked too much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I do have the sense that Dev was not as devout as Orlando is. Yeah. Um, and I'm wondering if maybe the reason that he landed here was because of something along those lines. Yeah. Maybe there was, um, some questioning, Mm -hmm. some rebelliousness. Yeah. So no questioning allowed with the disciples. Yeah, no, it seems very like your faith or your nothing. <laughs> um, and I also wonder, uh, did Dev purposefully eat those berries so that Hope would have to take care of him? I was wondering that too. I don't think we can get like a clear answer on this unless Jason says so, but I'm willing to think. I think I, I think I like it more if he is. I think it's just very cute. Yeah, I feel like I think they probably knew what kinds of plants were available on this planet um because they knew how to survive there um and i like the idea that i mean that would really be him manipulating her but it's like a cute manipulation well it's it's manipulating but also like a way for her to like get her to overcome her initial fears about him and let her other parts of her humanity take over i mean i think he knows that like that he needs to break the ice somehow and like this is how. Well, sure. Putting him in a weaker position than her would definitely help her warm up to him, I think. Yeah. Um, um, so I hope that's true. I, I Yeah, I think either way, but I like it. 
I also love that by the end of their time together, Hope's fight is also Dev's fight. And so, like, he saves her, not just because he loves her, but also so that she can go on to save her family, too. And, like, it's, like, her her plight is his plight. He's, like, adopted her family as yeah. well. Again, I, I feel this much stronger with Dev and Hope than I did with Orlando and um, oh, the rest 100%. of Oh, 100%. We'll talk about that later. But, like, this is so effective. But I... I I do think it's easier to get that attachment to a child than to get it to adults. So, like, Dev coming in and, like, Hope obviously becomes his whole world because they're the only two on this planet. Um, That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. 100%. So the reason that Dev is dead is because Hope hesitated to kill. And so I guess, you know, we had heard in earlier episodes that Echo is kind of poking at hope about like talking a big talk but like have you ever really killed someone before and I couldn't really get a temperature take on it like do you think this episode at the end is the first time she ever kills anyone or did she like have to kill someone when she was on Bardo it's such a good question I'm curious to think what you think I am inclined to say that this guy on Bardo is the first one she's killed you mean the guy on Skyring yes um yeah you know, if it is, I don't know if we got enough of an emotional reaction from her. Um, just if, like, she really did hesitate to kill that first time. Yeah. Like, it's a big deal to her then. You know, it's it's not like it's going to just emotionally affect you afterward. But it, like, very much emotionally affected her just thinking about In doing the, it. Yeah. Um, but she moment. did it here and she didn't hesitate, really. And so I, I just kind of made me wonder, like, was this the first time? And if it was the first time... I would have preferred like a little bit more of like 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 another like another couple beats just to stick with hope, you know, before we moved on to Echo. Um, but I think it's likely that this was her first kill, but I'm yeah. not sure. I'm not sure either. But it's a good point that if it is, like, we probably should have paid a little bit more character service to it. I'm still incredibly confused or like just uninformed in general about what hope did like what happened to hope on bardo after oh, she I, left yeah, we have we have no idea yeah still. so there's like a big chunk of time missing that um i'm curious if it'll get filled in and like the more i think about bardo and the planets and the, this whole time dilation system i feel like alpha planet alpha sanctum um is probably the closest to earth time wise mm-hmm. Um, I, I wonder if Bardo moves a little faster than Sanctum, but not like, uh, not anywhere near as fast as Skyring. So like, for example, Bellamy could have been on Bardo for like, it could be like a week, you know, or, or like, like just like slightly more time, um, a week or even like months Mm -hmm. than, um, than like Sanctum. Um, and then I wonder the, the final planet that we don't know, well, we don't know two more, but... One is obviously Earth. Let's be real, guys. We'll talk about it later. But but uh, the the last unnamed planet, um, I feel maybe that one goes the slowest of all of the planets. Um, and so we'll talk about that later and what that could mean. But yeah, yeah. So why did I start talking about that? I have no idea. I don't know. Oh, oh, <laughs> that's why. Was, that's why. Um, so on Bardo, I feel like Hope could have at least spent like days or even weeks there um either getting interrogated or or whatnot I'm not really entirely sure what they do on Bardo except steal no, your you're memories trying to ascertain how much time how much chunk of time chunk yeah. of time she was there yeah how much time in between her hesitating to kill and then Dev dying and then her showing up and stabbing Octavia how much time passed in between that yeah I don't it's know it's a good question and I feel like we'll get the answers yeah 
Um, it was a little jarring to me to actually see Gabriel punching Orlando. I completely agree. It, it seems, seems very out of character. Very out of character. He's never very much seemed like a physical, physical being. Or I mean, violent. He is a physical being. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he, he just never has like seemed to use his um, strength to hurt. Yeah, he doesn't seem like the guy who like expresses himself with his fists. Yeah. He seems more intelligent than that. So I guess this is supposed to point to like how devastated he is but mm-hmm. i still feel like it's out of character for him yeah um i i thought that was a weird weird take on their part <laughs> um one last thing in this section hope says at the end of this that um they'll they'll make him love him and that's why he'll end up helping them in four years or five years and i'm just curious i mean like i feel like that is like categorically the opposite of what happened with her and dev like they grew to i don't think there was ever like she was trying to like it's not like she generated a plan to like use him, make him love her, and then like leave the planet. I I'm curious if this is like she says she's like trust me, I've done this before, and I'm just like no, you haven't. I mean, I think that she's now in retrospect viewing her time with Dev very differently because I believe she carries a lot of guilt over his death and that she's the one who got him killed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's seeing like. You know, like, he tried to help me and I failed him. And, like, I think that has really turned things around in her mind is, like, did I use him just to get to my family? You know, I, I, I yeah. mean, I think she's questioning a lot of that. And obviously that's not true. I mean, she was a 10-year-old child when she met him. Like, of course. That's not how that worked. But I think she's just carrying a lot of weight about yeah. that situation. A lot of guilt. I would agree. In Sanctum, Clark and Koa found one of the dead time pirates that Echo killed. Jordan comes in with the man who reveals that there are more of the time pirates, alive, who have asked for Clark by name. Clark realizes that they have her people, and she's going to go out and meet them. She goes to Raven, who's not doing too well after the events of last episode. Clark and Raven connect a bit about the hard decisions they've both had to make, and then Clark leads Raven to check out the time pirate suit. Uh, so first and foremost, this was an incredibly jarring opening to the um, Sanctum section. And I really feel like they should have found this dead time pirate at the end of the last episode. I 100% agree with that. It, it took me two times to figure out where this body came from because it was just like it showed up out of nowhere. And I didn't it took me so long to realize that they found this. This is one of the bodies that Bar- Bellamy killed in the forest four episodes ago. Well, Echo. Echo killed yeah. four episodes ago. That did not connect for me at all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you had to, like, really watch it with subtitles to get what was even happening at the beginning. Yeah. It was very unclear. Bad. Not great. Um, And, you know, we really haven't gotten a lot from Nyla in I don't know how long. Um, It's been a minute. It's honestly been, like, forever. <laughs> we never get much with but, Nyla. But, like, I did think she had a couple of very Nyla-specific um, moments here that just were very they felt very Nyla to me it was like she was being her most Nyla self and one of them is when she's talking about where is Ra- where Raven is and she is empathizing with Raven and I just I really like Nyla I think she's very kind and very understanding and I want more of her on this show because we need more of that <laughs> yeah you know I, I always really loved Nyla the most with Octavia I think they made a really good um, dynamic pairing um so now it just there's a lot of Nyla that just feels kind of like why is she around to be honest yeah a little bit (laughs) it's I mean like they're I guess I guess Nyla kind of um militarized up when she was in the bunker and she's a little bit more of a fighter now um because of Octavia teaching her and just because of the way things were in the bunker so I mean I guess I kind of get why she like accompanies them as backup um but it's just like there are so many characters 
And I just want to like really focus on the ones that um, are going to carry the most weight right now. And so it's just, I'm, I'm curious what's going to happen with Nyla because she's always, we always wanted her to become a larger player, but she never did. So yeah. no, I agree. And I feel like her involvement in like this episode doesn't bother me at all. Like that's like, I mean, if they're not going to do anything more with her character, like this is the kind of function within the larger scheme of things that I'm comfortable with for her as she moves on into this like new planet heist scenario. Like that's a whole a <laughs> scavenger of color. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I agree. Um, Jordan coming in hot with the bad news bears again. Again. <laughs> Just, again, being the most Jordan. Um, love that journey for him. And, again, this is something that I'll just keep very brief, but I I feel like it was glaringly obvious every time Clark would talk about the people who were missing um, because – I'm sorry. Oh, you mean, like, this episode? Yeah. I was like, when in the other episodes no, did she? this episode. Yeah. Because like, she hasn't mentioned them at all yeah. before now. And now, even when she talks about it, like, the verbiage that she uses is very general. It's very much, like, our people. She never really calls them by their name. She does not specifically talk about Bellamy, which is a ridiculous. She would be losing her mind if she found out that Bellamy was in trouble, which she does. And she's just like, we have to go get our people. And she's like, <laughs> dead in the eyes about it um and so when I'm talking about like there is like a Bellamy sized hole missing in these episodes like this is the kind of thing I'm talking about where it's like it's not just his absence that is missing but it's the way that the characters treat him and talk about him that are so bizarre to me and they feel wrong yeah like I guess I can just jump in I had a later point but in many ways this season and it's in a way that I can't put my finger on the writing for Clark has just seemed a bit off this is nothing to do with Eliza Taylor's acting because I think she's you know wonderful at what they give her but it's almost like the pa- the writing doesn't have the passion for Clark that it usually does I agree it's almost as if they've like de-dimensionalized her where I feel like a lot of times um the way that she relates to Bellamy and the things that Bellamy bring out in her are 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 the things in Clark that are hardest for her to come to ter- come to terms with and express on her own, right? Because mm-hmm. it's like she connects with him, like he helps her be more emotional, he helps her be more human, he grounds her in a lot of ways. And so without him, what you get is an almost more robotic version of Clark. So they have like in a sense like de-dimensionalized her. Yeah. Um they flattened her a little. And, and it's again, like I can't Eliza is so good at this that it's very hard to put your finger on what's off because she's such a good actor. Um and she really brings every single thing she has in her arsenal to every scene. Um but I really just think it's that without Bellamy to bounce off of, these two characters are flatter. Yeah. Well, I mean, who knows what Bellamy is because <laughs> we can't I'm see him. I'm assuming. Um but I do hope, I mean, I know we like have been uh, harping on the Bellamy stuff a lot but I do hope that once Clark realizes that Bellamy is alone or I guess if she realizes I hope we'll get more to, of an emotional reaction just because you know we already saw the flip side last season of Bellamy like doing whatever it takes to save Clark yeah and I just want to like I want him to see that she feels the same way especially because the last you know thing that she's done for him or to him was like 
left him to die and yeah, not weather. I, I want I the want, last big thing. I want to end the season with the both of them feeling equal mm-hmm. to each other again. And not that they don't feel equal in there right now, but I just I think the scores are a little uneven and I just want everything to be equal. Yeah. I just want Bellamy to see that she too would go for the ends of the earth for him. <sighs> so but we'll see. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it was, it was definitely very anticlimactic when they finally did figure out their people were missing. And I think that's just because it hadn't been talked about. And then I was like, oh, our people are missing. I guess we've just been wasting our time the last oh, three episodes. Our people, they're missing. <laughs> like, okay, great. Um, and we also see here that Miller is actually pretty perturbed with Gaia right now yeah, he is. for kind of breaking up one crew. And so my question for you is, is this just for practical reasons? Because now like guarding is hard and protecting Clark and everyone else is hard. Or is this really because truly deep down he still had a belief in one crew? I don't know. I interpreted this as purely for like a, on a logistical, like pragmatic level. Like he's just annoyed that his job is a lot harder now. Um, but it could be ideology driven. I'm not sure. I mean, I definitely think it leans more on the practical side, but I'd like to believe, too, that, I mean, we know how into (laughs) one crew Miller was back in season five. Well, I don't know. I don't know if he was super into one crew or he was just, like, super into Octavia. I think that, I don't don't mean that, that, like, like, romantically, but, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that isn't um, mutually exclusive. I think being super into Bloodraina um, would have brought a lot of uh, camaraderie with him and the rest of one crew, I I think. And, um, I mean, we know that he's, you know, pretty chill with the rest of Sky Crew right now, but, like, what about... The other members of one crew, the other friends that he surely must have had, um, how, how is that dynamic working now? Yeah, it's a great question. I don't believe we'll ever answer that question, <laughs> but it's a good one. Yeah. Uh, even though Miller is giving her a ton of shit, Gaia has a great line here, and she's like, we are the backup. <laughs> and it's like, hell yeah, you are. That was interesting to she's me. She's so feisty. She's very feisty. <laughs> but does Gaia fight or, like, shoot or do anything like that? Have we seen that before? I mean, we see at the end of the episode that she was not a great fighter, but she can hold her own. She was not terrible. Sure. Um, I was just mostly wondering, in the sense of her volunteering to be backup, like, does she, like, think that she would be useful as that? Because I, I just hadn't she, ever seen that dynamic from her. Yeah, I guess. That, that I can think of. It must be just, like, some basic training that she's, like, maintained just from being a grounder. I mean, I guess it could also be, like, the flame keepers might have training as yeah, or flame Indra, keepers. Or just being, like, Indra's daughter. Indra could have. Sure, but I do feel like um Gaia left Indra pretty early on yeah but I, th- I think there are like some things that like stick with you mm, maybe I don't know um I was really excited to see the Clark and Raven scene alone together like when Clark walked in and it was just Raven I was like here we go yeah and then it just didn't end up being that no. satisfying to me and I have to believe I truly have to believe this is not the scene <laughs> this is not the scene where they connect on this level you know yeah no I, I mean we talked about this offline too and when I was crying heads up guys I cried this week <laughs> many times <laughs> um both about this episode and not about this episode um, I'm just very emotional <laughs> and <laughs> she doesn't even go here um but I was saying to Sarah I was like oh well you know this isn't what I asked for and I I would feel less bad about this if I if I had seen the hundred give time to these kinds of things before but I feel like it is very easy for them to just move over the hard conversations and let small um small moments and small inclinations 
stand in for the conversations that need to be had. And so if I had a better guarantee that another version of this was coming, I would not be as annoyed about this as I am. But as it stands right now, like this isn't what I asked for and it's annoying. It is not what I asked for. Uh, um, and, and it's not anywhere close to not what I asked for. at all. And I really want them to sit down and have a fully like heart to heart about it. Well, and we know, too, that there is at least one scene that we haven't seen yet that was in the trailer where Clark seems to be comforting Raven and Raven's crying. And so I I hope that if it's not that scene, that we still have more to come with Clark and Raven's friendship, because I still feel like there's a long way to go, both to repair what they had, but then also to kind of forge something new. I agree. We're like just like treading water here with them. Yeah. Uh, how long is this supposed to be after the events of last episode? Like this whole episode? How long do you oh, think I, it? I thought it was like two hours. Is it? I, I honestly don't know. It just, it seemed very odd to me yeah. that Clark hadn't seen Raven. And the last we saw of Raven, she was being rushed into the hospital. Right. Well, but I feel like they were like rushing her into the hospital. I mean, like she has not healed at all. Well, but I'm saying it, it almost looks like it's been like a day or, or even two. I don't even think it's been that long. I really think it's been like hours. It's possible. I honestly don't know. That that was my question is it just it felt it felt like hours. To it me. just seemed odd that Clark hadn't gone to see her. Like Clark being Clark and Clark knowing what Raven just did, her having even just like even if it's been just hours. Like it yeah. felt odd to me that Clark hadn't seen Raven yet. Yeah, that's that fair point. I think it's weird. Um Raven says that she can't forget their faces and then Clark has a really great response here um which I will give her credit for and she says and you won't forget their faces she says just don't forget the ones you saved which I think really does epitomize the way that Clark is able to move on um she told Russell earlier this season you just take a breath and you move forward and you move forward and it's like you you don't ever forget the terrible things that you've done but you also have to remember like the 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 people that you did it for and like who's alive because of you at the same time and like this is a lesson that Clark has had to learn over and over and over again and I'm not even sure that she fully can do this every single time but at least it's a mantra she has for herself or like an idea that she's got for herself that like Raven's never had to face before um that she is now like sort of passing on this piece of wisdom that she's like honed over time in her position as their leader which I really appreciate I do like this yeah, you know, I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, I do think, I mean, this whole scene to me was very just colored negatively because I wanted it to be more, but I also just felt like even like things like this, I don't want to use the word like dismissive because that's not kind of what I'm getting at, but I just feel like Clark would have just forged a much deeper connection with Raven in this moment than just like, you did what you had to do. It'll be fine. Just don't forget the faces of the ones you saved. Now let's go. You know, like I get Clark was um, in a hurry, but I don't know, like just this whole scene, it just didn't sit quite right with me. I agree. I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you at all. I liked, I liked this. I liked this expression and I liked this platitude, I guess you could call it. I don't think it's enough. I don't, I don't dislike the idea that this expression means. It just didn't feel like none of it felt properly placed. No, but guess it is what it is. <laughs> so Clark and her friends meet Captain Meredith, who tells Clark that he needs the body of his friend back. And he also shows her that he didn't come alone when the other time pirates pop out of invisibility beside him. Meredith says that he needs Clark to come with them because she's the key to stopping the last war mankind will ever wage. And in this exchange, he'll bring back Clark's friends. 
Elsewhere, Raven and Jordan figure out how to remove the dead Time Pirate's helmet, and Clark comes in to tell them about the plan. Okay, so I'm going to say something up at the top here, and you can all feel free to disagree with me. I truly think this is one of the readings that I had of this scene is truly just because of the Black Lives Matter movement and all of the police brutality that has been coming to light um, to some of us more than others. And so watching Captain Meredith and the Time Pirates, they just, it felt like a weird moment of like watching people in power with like a lot of like very high tech coming in and sort of like coming up with a narrative that fits their needs and what they want and so it was like hey your people killed our people we need we need your help like you know the last time we checked we have this like giant body count and like we haven't done done anything to you we're innocent and it's like dude you literally showed up kidnapped us tortured us and like have been hunting us one by one like you can't just show up here and be like we're the good guys we're we're peacekeepers we're a body we're we're keeping the timeline safe we're saving mankind it was just like a very weird moment in television where I like could not separate what's going on in reality um and you can completely feel free to disagree with me I just no, I mean, I, I see, like, the way you're explaining that. I see, like, where you're coming from. Um, I don't, to be clear, I am not equating these guys, really, with the horrific, horrific and systemic police brutality that has been happening in this country. And I'm also not saying that their treatment of Clark and her friends is, like, anywhere remotely as terrible as, like, what's been happening in our country and around the world. I'm just saying that, like, this is how, like, the events of today are, like, coloring my experience watching media yeah I can certainly see with the gaslighting of it all um yes how you're kind of getting that connection I think for me when you had first mentioned that to me personally without kind of like explaining it in depth I was like mm, I don't know if I see that because I was really viewing I was coming into this viewing the time pirates as the antagonists yeah um whereas and I mean like I realized that the police are very much antagonists too but the idea of police is supposed to be there to protect you right um and so that's why it makes it like even more hurtful when they turn against the people. Right. Whereas, like, these guys, I was just like, oh, they're the villains, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. But I feel like the way that they see themselves is, like, they are the peacekeepers or the keepers of sure. the universe. I mean, I think that's how everyone – no one views themselves as the villains. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I also want to be clear that I do not think that this was the intention of the writers, of course. Well, this was not how they wrote – Yeah. This is not the context in which they wrote this scene. They this wrote episode. this scene in a very different time period. So <laughs> I just want to make that very clear. Like, this is, like, my own interpretation and just another – Which <laughs> is valid. I mean, you always have to watch TV with the lens of – current events um even if it wasn't written at that time like it's always gonna color how you see things so yeah I'm just saying like you know what guys it's been a hard couple of weeks <laughs> um I really feel like for Clark and her friends this episode was like welcome to the party pal you know <laughs> They've, like, been doing God knows what the last two episodes we've been in Sanctum. Like, honestly, just a waste of all of our time. <laughs> waste of space. So I'm really glad that we are now all on the same page. We're moving forward. I'm ready. Yeah. It's, like, a bummer that, like, they had it, they had to wait until the Time Pirates showed up for them to even realize their friends were missing. Yeah. It's really shitty. Um, Nobody tell Bellamy Echo or Hope. <laughs> or Octavia. Yeah, they were not looking for you. No, they did they not, did not remember you. you were gone. 
Uh, Meredith does say that they are the disciples of the greater truth. So what is the greater truth? <laughs> I don't know. And also, what is the last war mankind will ever wage? Those are big words to use there, buddy. And it's like, mm, really? <laughs> I think as long as humans exist, yeah. there's going to be a war. It's like, like unless, inevitable. Unless this war that mankind is going to wage is going to kill all of I, mankind. I mean, like, that's seriously, I'm like, is it our own extinction? Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah, I have questions. Um, But I'm really excited. Like, this was, you know, the part of the stuff in the trailer that really captured my attention mm -hmm. um and now that we're finally getting to it and I'm, I'm thinking we're finally going to start slowly getting some answers moving forward um I'm ready for it I'm here for it <laughs> yeah I'm ready for forward propulsion for yeah. sure um so what do we think that Meredith and the disciples want from Clark they say that she's the key but like what does that mean in what way yeah it's a great question I don't know if they're talking about her very unique skill set leading people in an apocalypse uh like scenarios for the last <laughs> plus years yeah um or if it's something like in integral to d to like clark as a human um or if those two things are c a combination of both or is it something about like something she experienced alone on earth that maybe will bring tie them back to earth i have no idea yeah i have to keep thinking about um I think that part of it could be things that they've stolen from Dioza's, Octavia's, and Bellamy's memories. Yeah. I, I feel like something in there is what has made them believe that Clark is this key to something, you know? Yeah. Um, as to, like, what she's going to do. Is it is it tied into, like, uh, something previous that she's done that they've, like, discovered that they need her to do again? Um, is it possibly something to do with Allie? Because she's kind of the one of the ones, I think the only one who really, like, faced Allie. You know what I mean? Maybe. Um, I don't know. Like, I'm just, I just cannot wait to get more context into this because... I mean, obviously, I think Clark is a superhero, but but I, I'm curious why they seem to think she is, too, or why they seem to think she's so necessary in whatever manner that is. Yeah, yeah and it's hard to know if that's, like, like a symbolic key or, like, a literal key. Like, what do you mean? Oh, like, a literal key? Like, well, I'm going to shove you in a lock? And no, no, off? but, like, something that's more, like, specific to Clark and, like, Clark only mm -hmm. or because I don't know how time works or if it's like something just because Clark is amazing yeah I don't know Clark is amazing though. and of course speaking of Clark being amazing she just ups and goes ahead and agrees and vol volunteers she's like sign me up <laughs> I trade myself I volunteer <laughs> Miller's like what the fuck man <laughs> Miller do you know her at all <laughs> I don't know I feel like Miller and Bellamy are both united in their like irritation with Clark being Clark all the time I know but they have to get over it because Clark's not ever gonna not be Clark I know but they can still be annoyed by it <laughs> like stop throwing yourself in the path of a moving train for the love of God Clark <laughs> <laughs> you're important too <laughs> Um, switching gears here and going to the other scene that we co covered um, with Raven and Jordan. I actually really like these scenes. I love Raven and Jordan as a dynamic. I think they are really fun together. And Jordan annoys me much less when he's around Raven for some reason. Um, I just think their writing is really fun. And the way they play off of each other is, is really um, entertaining. 
You know, I actually wonder if it's not that Jordan and Raven, or like that Jordan annoys you less when he's around Raven, but it's just that Jordan has been around the um, children of, not children of Gabriel, the like believers for this whole season. And that whole thing has just been so irritating to us that seeing him like as part of the team and like working to solve, you know, where, where the missing uh, crew went, you know, I, I like that. I feel is making Jordan shine a little bit better. Oh, I 100% agree with you. I don't think that that is, I mean, I, that's definitely part of the equation. I was just thinking back to last season when Jordan and Raven were together in that first scene when they were like looking for Sanctum and figuring out a way to get down there. And it was just, they were cute. That They were fun then. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like Raven has now kind of reached Sinclair status and she needs a mentee and Jordan definitely needs a mentor <laughs> maybe so I really hope that they can form that kind of like mentee mentor um connection because I think that they're a really great pairing a platonic pairing yes yes that they um they they just have a nice dynamic they do but I do want to know why doesn't Raven know that Jordan got stabbed oh I think she does know he got stabbed he's asking her like sarcastically he's like you know I got stabbed right she knows and that's why she feels so guilty about not coming to see him sooner that's why she apologizes for it. They, it's not coming to see him sooner. It was about they didn't come for him. Like he got taken yeah. by, um, yeah, by yeah. the believers and she brainwashed. Knows. He's he's digging in the knife. Well, it it seemed weird. It, it was oddly placed there. Yeah, um, I think it was unclear, but I definitely think she knows. Well, not just unclear, but it was like it kind of seemed like it came out of nowhere. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I, I don't know if she did, because she was in space at the time, I think. Um, but I surely she would have heard she, about it she, by then. She knows. I'm glad you're so sure, because I'm not. <laughs> I'm not because I'm not really sure about anything that's been happening on this show lately. I mean, that's fair. I'm just going to assume that she knows, because I can't think of any other logical explanation on why she wouldn't. So, in my brain, she knows. Um, Jordan really does have some really funny lines in this episode, though. Like, his his comedic timing is pretty good. It yeah. reminds me of last episode when he was like, oh, is that your medical opinion? <laughs> <laughs> his, like, his namesake, uh, Jasper, is is coming out there. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so Raven sees Hatch's face uh, for a moment when she takes off the helmets. Is this just from her own guilt? Yeah. You think so? Yeah. I think she's just... I think she's just manif- – her guilt is so heavy, It's and she's having, like, almost a psychotic break at this point that she's just manifesting these uh, hallucinations um, as a way of reconciling her own feelings. Yeah. I mean, I feel the same way, but thought I had to ask. Yeah, for um, sure. I don't love – one thing I don't love here is all the retconning that goes on about who can ride motorcycles. What the fuck is this <laughs> shit? I mean, I guess I can kind of see it with Raven because I think it was mentioned last season that her and um, Ryder went out. Yeah. Um, and obviously we know with Clark that she kind of picked it up from Josephine. But Miller? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Miller, you can't ride a motorcycle. Stop pretending. Well, I, and also, like, the, it was just – this was so clunky. This was – and this insertion was so clunky. It was cringeworthy. I was like, oh, God. Yeah, they could have just not, not said, said anything. It. And I probably wouldn't have even thought about it. Nope. <laughs> Or if I had thought about it, I would have been like, whatever. Yeah, whatever. yeah. <laughs> this is so much worse. It's like putting a Band-Aid on like a giant open wound. Like it doesn't work. And did they only take two motorcycles? And if so, how did they get all of that group out there? I don't know. What a great question. Or no, wait, I guess, I guess there were only four of them to begin with. Right. And then Raven and Jordan showed up. 
Yeah. Okay. Never mind. So one person right on the back of each. Oh, oh, yeah. They could double up. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Um. Yeah, so Raven's trying to keep busy and be helpful in any way that she can. She's, like, over eager in her promise. She's like, I will find something out and I will ride out to you. <laughs> ride out and <laughs> meet them. I will ride out and meet them. <laughs> Very Lord of the Rings style. And it's like... <laughs> I've, I haven't seen her this passionate, this enthusiastic, this willing to be helpful in a very, very long time. And it's obvious it's it's driven by her guilt. Um, and she's not only trying to keep herself busy, but she's also trying to atone and save as many people as she can save, especially the people that she loves. Sure. And so you can see how this guilt is starting to play out, not just internally, but also externally, too. Um and also, one more thing here, guys. You know who doesn't have a problem saying their names and, like, really meaning it and, like, truly feeling the loss of her friends? It's Raven because she names all of them <laughs> in a row in front of Clark, who's like, yes, they don't name poor Gabriel. And I realize they don't love Gabriel like I love Gabriel, but I care they about you, Gabriel. really don't love Gabriel the way we love Gabriel. <laughs> Nobody does. They just haven't seen him in his tank top yet. Yeah, but when they do... When they do. <laughs> <laughs> On Skyring, Hope, Gabriel, and Echo start tending to their garden, and we see a flashback to young Hope and Octavia doing the same. In the next scene, months have passed, and the garden has begun to flourish. Echo's surprised by Orlando, who wants to help plant some pumpkins, but as Echo goes to get Hope, Gabriel shows up and scares Orlando away. They decide to use Hope as bait for Orlando, having him save her from drowning, and he then agrees to help them. Yeah, so Gabriel has this foolproof plan to lure in Orlando. They'll just make it look like they're a happy family, and then he'll want to join them. And I'm just curious, like, do you think he learned this tactic or this, like, insight into human psychology from his time with the children of Gabriel and, like, attracting followers there? Is that, like, the implication that's supposed to be happening here? Um, I just think it's more of him being alive for the last 200 years and kind of forming his own cult <laughs> you know yeah that's what I mean yeah I mean I don't think it's with the children of Gabriel necessarily I think it's you know he before he formed the children of Gabriel cult oh that cult he formed the first cult <laughs> the flower children cult <laughs> the flower children cult right right <laughs> yes okay yeah that he's makes got sense. a lot of cult experience yes, yes no you're absolutely right I should have thought of that you're right yes um Ego's Ego Lego my ego. <laughs> Echo is like uh, digging in the dirt won't make time pass faster. And it's like, no, but it will keep you alive. Like yes. you have to garden. No, she's just bitter. She's just bitter that she's stuck here. Okay, but like you still have to eat. <laughs> yes. But she's just bitter. She knows. I don't know if she knows. <laughs> she's She still hasn't accepted at this point that they're going to have to stay. I don't yeah, think. Yeah, that's what I mean. Well, she needs to accept it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I know that everyone thought that Echo saying uh, just Ice Nation, no the, was really funny. But I don't know, like, it kind of felt like a bit of humor that was out of place on this show. Like, grammatical humor isn't really the hundred shtick. You know what I mean? Yes, I hear that. And I don't necessarily disagree with you. It is a different flavor of humor, for sure. But I thought it was funny. I and I enjoyed it it is funny it just doesn't feel right it doesn't feel right coming from echo first and foremost because that again is very much not her form of humor um and then it doesn't really feel right coming in the hundred i don't know i well okay i will say this i think it's like there was a lot of attempts at levity and like um like personal 
like back and forths with these characters trying to make it seem like they were getting to know each other and then growing into a family sure I think this was an attempt at setting some groundwork there. I just don't know if it was effective. I mean, I get the attempt. And I think, honestly, everything else in this episode, humor-wise, worked for me. I think it was hilarious. Um, This just felt kind of flat for me. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I did love the scene with Octavia and Hope. Um, It's like, of course, the Blake sister knows all about Greek mythology. What do you think its significance is in this episode? Or does it even have any? Um, the insertion of the flashback or the Hesperides myth? The Hesperides myth. Yeah, so I think the Hesperides myth is truly, I think it's exactly what it sounds like. I, I, I really feel like the idea of like Hope, Octavia, and Dioza are the three maidens guarding this very precious plot, their home, um, that is very verdant and produce, productive. Um, and I, I really love what that means about this place being a little bit magical and inspiring the kind of family and ties and connections that sort of grow and are fostered here. We first see it with Hope and Octavia and Dioza. We then see it with Dio, I mean, with, oh my God, with Hope and Death. And then we see it with, um, Echo, Hope and Gabriel and eventually Orlando. There's a lot of names there. Um, (laughs) but I do like the idea that uh, the original three were all women, and now the next three are <laughs> Echo, Hope, and Gabriel is the third maiden. I think I th- Gabriel makes a great maiden. I think he is a delightful maiden, personally. But I, I really think that's what the, the myth is about, is guarding something that you know is precious and that is, you know, it could be a material good, which is, you know, the idea of this show, of this episode is like, oh, yes, we'll just play it being family because we really need to get off this place. And in the meantime, we'll like guard this, you know, this will make this home look like a, we'll make this cabin look like a home. We'll make this garden look like something that we're all, you know, doing together as a family. And then that's actually what they are doing is like they are guarding their home. They are a family. Um, I mean, you can't play it something and not eventually become exactly. that. Exactly. Um, I, you know, flashing forward a couple of months, Echo really loves gardening and I'm living for it. It's like she discovered a new skill because like Gabriel joked, like, guess they didn't have gardens in the Ice Nation. No, she's just like, this is like something that she's like, who knew? She's very, she's a gardener. Yeah. (laughs) She's like a botanist. She just is really into plants and and growing things. And And she talks, she keeps her peace. She talks to them because Gabriel, it makes them taste better. It's very cute. It's so cute. I love it. Um, there's also a really sweet little moment here when Echo mentions Monty's algae being terrible. And then she like looks up at the sky and apologizes. It's very humanizing. Yeah. You know, it was such a great moment for Echo. I really love all this stuff they did with Echo in this episode. And honestly, like in this episode, in this scene, like Echo hopes and Gabriel's easy camaraderie, even though it's like only been a few months at this point, they're they're really becoming solidified as one of my favorite um pairings do you call it a pairing when there's more than two people trioing (laughs) yeah one of my favorite trioings of uh the entire series I just think that they all three are so different and they work so well together and they have such a like unbalanced sense of humor that I really appreciate yeah no I think their energy is wonderful and it's very and it's a very easy energy I think the reason why these three are so compelling to watch and so fun to watch is because it feels very equal it doesn't feel like two of them are 
are more aligned against another. It all feels like very equal parts of a triangle and like they're all platonic. They're just all on the same footing here, um, which makes it fun to watch because you don't have to be playing at politics for one versus two or whatever. And so it's just fun to watch all three of them play off of each other. Yeah, I think one of the reasons it feels so equal is because all three of them kind of come into this not really knowing the others. That's you what know? I'm saying, exactly. Mm-hmm. So they they get to know each other together. Right. They are all growing as three people, as a thruple together. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Do you think Orlando observed that Hope likes pumpkins or was this part of like his just constructed fantasy in his head? I have no idea. I feel like... (laughs) This is like the kind of question, like, why do I care? I mean, we have to talk about it because it's there. Um, I feel like it's probably him constructing this fantasy because it doesn't seem like I could be wrong, but it doesn't seem like they have pumpkins. Yeah. Um, that seemed like he was like adding them or maybe there's always possible that he like saw something in the cabin when he was living there that hinted that the hope who used to live there like pumpkins, you know, I don't know. Yeah, no, it's a good, it's, I just, I'm like, I don't, I just am so confused with his like obsession with hope. And like, I, I need to understand why he's so obsessed with hope specifically I, I truly just feel like, well, one, we don't really know how long he's been on this planet. Um, he could have been here, you know, for a while now. Yeah. And he's gone a little bit. Um, he's lost a lot of touch with reality, especially in the beginning. And I think living in this planet and seeing Hope's name and being totally alone, he's kind of constructed this persona that he put onto his doll his creepy uh, skeleton doll um that I think was built around a lot of like what hope was actually like when she lived in the cabin just based on stuff that he might have found so um I think that must be why he's so attached to the real hope is because the fake imaginary hope was like his lifeline when he was alone yeah that makes perfect sense to me and I, I like the idea of him sort of like transposing his all of his fantasies and his hopes and his wishes <laughs> that was on this doll onto a real life person who's like kind of come true she's like a wish come true for him and that makes her so much more important right she's like vital yeah um and he cannot lose her again uh one really important thing we have to talk about mm-hmm. is orlando gets spooked and then he kills the tomatoes he just topples them but it's deeply upsetting <laughs> i get it echo i too would be pissed about the tomatoes <laughs> forget orlando look, look at, at the, the tomatoes, tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> such a great line oh, such a great moment i love it it's so funny <laughs> um switching gears here a little bit so they they decide to use hope as bait for all of the reasons we just discussed and um send her out there to pretend that she's drowning and you know they're like you know, we also need to be as visible as possible, all this stuff. There's just, like, a lot of manipulation tactics that are happening here, and I totally understand why, and I'm not blaming them. But, like, it just kind of feels icky. It feels a little icky to me. I don't like it. I mean, I think it's supposed to. I mean, they're trying to manufacture a connection um, in the way that Dev's connection with Hope was very um, organic. Yeah. Um, they're trying to recreate it, and obviously they're not doing a good job at it, as we'll see. Like, yeah. this doesn't this doesn't win them any points. Yeah. No, of course not. I mean, kind of based off of this, I was wondering, like, Orlando at this point knows that Hope grew up here. Um and I, ju- I just have to wonder, like, did he know from the start 
that this was fake. Like, if she grew up here, surely she knows how to swim. I don't think he thought about it too hard because Mm -hmm. it was just, like, hope is in danger. And I don't think it's, like, until they make that other critical error later at dinner that he, like snaps into place that this is all like you as you said manufactured and none of this is real Um, well I'll just I guess I'll just bring up then that part of dinner um kind of going out of order here I think it's really intriguing that he knows what a navy seal is I know (laughs) and I wonder if we're gonna get more context into that because that's not that doesn't seem like something that like either Cadigan if the group is Cadigan or like Allegis if the group is Allegis would really care to pass down yeah this feels like the black box question from a few episodes ago where they were like how the hell would you know what a black box is yeah you know it's a remnant of another time that like I don't think you would get this reference of course I've got to be careful here because I said that multiple times in that episode and then everyone came into our mentions and was like you're wrong let me tell you how (laughs) (laughs) so I guess if you can explain why uh, Orlando would know what a Navy SEAL is you can let me know (laughs) um but I do love, honestly, it was one of my favorite parts of the episode. Echo and Gabriel, after Orlando pulls Hope out of the water, Echo and Gabriel are act- just, like, being the world's worst actors. Yeah, no, they're terrible. It's hilarious. One of my favorite things is to see, like, good actors acting like bad actors. <laughs> it's very funny. I also think it's really funny because it's obvious that they wrote a script for this. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, they're not just improving bad. Yeah. They're, like, going ba- Their script is bad. <laughs> like, they're the worst they wrote down are oh, bad oh hope we're family too they're there <laughs> pat pat oh man we it's, were so worried <laughs> it's just like i i truly feel like i want everyone to appreciate the echo gabriel hope humor as much as we do because yeah, no it's gold it is gold <laughs> So in the cabin, Hope, Gabriel, and Echo are all having dinner with Orlando. Hope finds out that her mother was a freedom fighter, and we also discover that Orlando is a level 12, one of the highest levels a disciple and bardo can reach. Orlando also tells them that he's been sentenced because he did not rest on the day of rest, and then he leaves, having caught on to their game to indoctrinate him into their group. Okay, so first and foremost, I know that it's jellyfish, but it looks like pho, and it looks delicious, and I want the soup. I don't know. It does not look like fed to me. It looks like icky jellyfish legs. And, you know, if I had to eat them, I would. Like, that's not, I mean, I guess if I had to eat anything, I would. But that wouldn't be, like, on my list of, like, that would be the worst thing for me to ever have to eat, you know. But I still don't really want to live off of, like, kind of chewy, gummy jellyfish. (laughs) No, I don't think it's supposed to look delicious. And I don't think it's supposed to be delicious. Gabriel seems to think it is. I just think it looks like pho, which is delicious. (laughs) Um, I do like that we get a little bit more context here for Dioza's like quote unquote crimes because yeah. we have still, you know, what is this? Three seasons later, we still have no idea what Dioza no, really did or what, what she was fighting for. So true. I would love to know more about, remember when we had all those hopes and dreams about getting a Dioza centric episode and then it never happened. It never happened. And I don't think it ever will. Mm-mm. Um, but so, so we know that she's, or at least Gabriel calls her a freedom fighter, which is a little bit different from a terrorist, although I think it kind of depends on uh, the terrorists might think that they're freedom fighters. Well, I was going to say it's the victor who gets to tell exactly. the history, so it depends on whose perspective um, you're talking to. But I'm just really curious about whose freedom was she fighting for? From what? Freedom from what, you know? Yes, exactly. And it's- we're never going to know. <laughs> <laughs> we might we may find out a little more, but not a lot. I don't think so. I could be wrong, but I don't think so. Yeah. 
Um, so anytime Echo, at first Echo notices the conversation is like starting to get away from them. And of course, the more they talk about themselves, the more likely they are to spill unnecessary information, which is exactly what happens. Um, and she just quickly changes the subject back to Orlando and what it, what his life has been like. And it's just a really nice sort of, uh, reminder of her training as a spy and like what she's capable of. Like she is a master manipulator and she can, she is trained to get information. It's funny because yes, she's trained as a spy, but she's also a terrible actor. She's a terrible actor. But like, if you watch the way that she does it first and then later, um, Gabriel tries to do it and it's so bad it's so bad and it's like this is how you're you can like actually finesse the conversation and this is how you can't well I think I think the difference between when Hope was like quote-unquote rescued from the water and here is that I think you are correct in that that scene was scripted no no like he does it later in this episode no 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 no, no. I, I, I get that yeah. I'm saying the difference here to there is Echo was a bad actor in that scene because it was scripted but I think this is very organic with just her training about how to steer conversations yeah. um yeah, and yeah. so that's that's why it feels different yeah, absolutely I think that's true um so guys oh my God. <laughs> so Orlando is a level 12 and I don't know if you guys remember a little thing called Second Dawn <laughs> and Bill Cadigan but they also had 12 levels or so we thought dun 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 dun, dun. there was definitely a secret 13th level um and there is nothing in this episode that told me that Cadigan wasn't about to return so <laughs> so I am more convinced than ever that this group isn't Allegius 3, as Gabriel seems to want to believe. Um, this group is most definitely Cadigan's group. It's second dawn. I don't know how the hell they got well, there. Wasn't Cadigan... Didn't he have something to do with Allegius 3? No, you're remembering my theories about oh, how Cadigan could have been connected. But at this point in time, we have no canon evidence that Cadigan was in any way involved with Allegius. Okay, this is why I don't theorize, because then I just think that that's true. <laughs> in fact, we also don't have any uh, canon theories that Cadigan was involved with Becca before Becca came to Earth after the apocalypse, so... But we just kind of, I mean, by we, I mean, I've just kind of assumed that he must have known her in some way, um, just given that she landed in just the perfect spot, you know? Um... But I still believe it's possible. I think that Cadigan somehow managed to get to, I don't know if it was Bardo or maybe one of the other planets. Like, theoretically, um, if he could have gotten to that last unnamed planet, um, perhaps that planet, like, time moves the slowest. And so maybe he's still alive and has kind of crafted this cult, which is easier because he grows very slowly and they grow really quickly. So he's able to, like, capture their... Um, uh, faith and beliefs um, a lot quicker than he normally could because they're growing at a faster rate than a person would on his like time level if that makes any sense not at all like what I'm saying is um, if you were on a planet where time moved like earth mm -hmm. and then there was another planet where time moved like sky ring mm -hmm. you know just implanting ideas um early on and then coming back having a cup of tea and then going back to visit the other planet hundreds of years could have passed and you can see how those those ideas evolved those ideas evolved in like 
fast time. You know what I mean? Sure. So I think it could be easier to create a cult like this because he has essentially all the time in the world because they're going through generation after generation, theoretically, um, while he's, you know, barely growing um, in relation to their time passing. I see what you're saying. Got it. Um, I don't remember again why I got on this topic. You just got excited about I got, level 12. I got really excited about level 12. Um, and there's definitely level 17, or six, 16, level 13. Um, we found out that Deb is level 7. I do wonder, like, can you ascend levels? Are you assigned a level? Uh, are you born into a level? I feel like since this is, like, about devotion and, and being devout, like, you can ascend levels Mm -hmm. that would that would make the most sense to me but I mean we'll find out very soon whether I'm right or wrong yeah I I do feel like you can ascend levels and I also just get the sense that not everyone in that society like is supposed to ascend to level 12 like I think they need like lower level people to do certain kinds of work and then higher level people to do other kinds of work so like I'm sure to ascend the work is extreme like I'm sure that you have to be exceptional in order to ascend and so just by the nature of that the, the triangle gets smaller and smaller as you go up. Sure. Like, I'm just thinking like, like for example, if you're a level like four or a level five, maybe they just need you to like tend the plants in the garden, you know? Right. Uh, and if you're a level 12, like Dev is or like um, Orlando is, it feels like he was really training new recruits. Mm-hmm. So like, it sounds like level 12 is either the highest that they know of or it's almost the highest that they know of yeah so we'll we'll get more information about that later I'm sure but that was like the first time in this episode I was like oh my god (laughs) (laughs) I know your face (laughs) the words Um, Cadigan it's happening I'm pretty sure he said that out no not yet I think I said it later no the shepherd came out no it wasn't it wasn't no, it was here because they were. Oh, like I did level, get excited about level, level 12, 12, and you were like, "Level 12, Cadigan is <laughs> happening." <laughs> so I said it twice in the episode, at least. Yeah. Well, when the when the cat when the shepherd stuff happened later, you were like, just hitting. It. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do want to know how much Hope actually knows about Barden Society and about the disciples and the levels and the shepherd and all of this, because surely Dev taught her some stuff and like has she imparted that information to echo and gabriel yet or or what exactly is what what is their knowledge level yeah that's a great question and it kind of goes back to my question last time which is like how much did she learn from dev and how much did she learn just by being on bardo Mm -hmm. um and i'm very curious to see like if there was a difference in perception how he described things and then like what the reality of it was um and again, we see, this is what I'm talking about, we see Gabriel with all the finesse of a high school boy being like, sir, I love to talk to you about my theories on what your life has been. Like, let me tell you all the ways in which you're fascinating to me. And it's like, dude, he's not a specimen. Like, let them, this is supposed to be a lovely conversation and you're just bombarding him. Orlando, have you ever heard about Allegius three? Right. So here's my thesis on how all of us are the same species and it's like the man is just trying to have a nice bowl of food leave him alone okay and so we learn here um more about the disciples we learn that they are guided by somebody called the shepherd <coughs> sorry just had to clear my throat a little oh yes what about, about the shepherd uh, you know I, don't say his name <laughs> do not say his name um yeah so so is this, I mean, obviously there's a very biblical reference here, and I, I doubt that that is a coincidence. Um, and it also goes along with this, like, very Christian ideology of taking a day of rest. 
um, a Sabbath, if you will. Sure. So I just think it's like really interesting what um, all of these remnants of the very like Christian oriented faith um, are like inbred into the disciples religion. Yeah, well, I mean, the shepherd takes his day of rest very seriously. <laughs> Clearly. Um, but it does, I still think, add even more credence to Second Dawn being kind of the birth of all of this. Because I, you know, from what I feel about um, a lot of cult leaders and, and, you know, like Bill Cadigan as well, is that they use a lot of that kind of like Christian... Um, or like, or like a deep biblical, like Old Testament kind of ideology, um, to uh, really hammer in their ideas or at least to have the basis of their ideas that they build upon. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because when you look at the, um, when you look at the sort of like, I'm only going to speak to Abrahamic religions because that's what I feel most comfortable talking about. Um, but if you look at Western faiths and you look at the most orthodox, um, the most sort of, um, what's the word, uh, fundamental, mm-hmm. fundamentalist of, of religions, they are very cult-like and they use these kinds of rules, they use these kinds of constructs to control people um, so that they don't break free and they don't rebel. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really fascinating that like even your rest time, even the time that is supposed to belong to you doesn't really belong to you in this society yeah Yeah. agreed I mean like poor poor Orlando just like wanted to work a little harder one day and he gets thrown on a prison planet for it for who knows like how do we know how long I guess I said earlier that um I thought that Dev had had done something worse because his sentence was longer but then I just realized that we don't know we don't know how long Orlando's been here so he's pretty unwell but mentally. I mean he could have been here even like a year or two and like you know I do think it's really interesting though and I wish they would have elaborated on how long he'd been here maybe we'll find out later but, um I did like that Orlando he offered to give Dev an honorable burial and it was just really sweet it was he's a sweet man he is a sweet man this is a rough episode <laughs> it, was, it was really hard we like really got to know two wonderful men and then had to say goodbye to them very yeah. quickly and it was devastating um, Orlando really is nowhere near as gullible as they're treating him. And I love that. I love that kind of turning the tables of like, you can't pull the wool over my eyes. Like I know what you're trying to do. And it's so classic of, of people. And I am speaking of myself as well. People who consider themselves intelligent, who consider themselves educated, who consider themselves not particularly religious because they think that it's dogmatic and that you're sheep and you're just following along and you're not exercising free will or independence or individualism to underestimate somebody like this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's classic. And then to for him to be like, I am all of the things that you don't think I am and you've been underestimating me is, is really satisfying. And he's lovely. He, you know, even after he admits to that, he confesses that he knows their game, the jig is up, you know, he still thanks them for a lovely meal yeah. and their company. Um, I love him. I'm so sad. Just let Orlando come to dinner. Just talk to him. He's so lonely. He's so lonely. Um, and again, he's not a bad person. He just wanted to work extra hard. He did. And he, I mean, like, he just seems like very kind and loving. Like you even see later with how devastated he is by, um, one of his, the disciples that he's trained getting killed. Like he just truly cares about his people and about, you know, 
I mean, he comes to truly care about Hope and Gabriel and Echo too. This is ter- this is terrible. So I'm devastated. <laughs> it's so bad. Also, you know, speaking of the three of them, you know, they look guilty for like half a second, and then Hope's all, "Oh my God, he's a level twelve. If we get him on our side, we have access to like." And then they start planning over and over again, and I'm like guys do you not see the tragedy of what is happening before you do you not see how sad this is I mean I don't think that they're capable of it right I now especially it. Hope and Echo who I, are like I get it they they have to save their the people they love you know um Gabriel's just kind of along for the ride but <laughs> I I totally get that just for like watching from a bird's eye view though mm-hmm. I just think it's so sad that they don't see it I mean it is sad and I think that they can come to see it later um most of it will probably be off screen but yeah i mean poor orlando i know in sanctum raven and jordan discover that the helmets are powered by thought raven then finally sees that the anomaly is a wormhole that connects several planets she also realizes that clark is actually a target for the time pirates on Skyring, Echo, Hope, and Gabriel are trying to train, and it's not going well. Orlando shows up to watch, which angers Echo, and she picks a fight with him. If she loses, he gets their cabin. If she wins, he has to help them. She ends up getting her ass kicked. <laughs> <laughs> While the three of them sleep outside at night, Hope tells them about memory capture, which is something the Bardoans do to their prisoners. So... First off, Raven is just so sharp. Like, her realizing that the helmets work on thought, like, it, it just... It again feels like Raven at her absolute best. And it's the kind of Raven that we missed so much last season. Um, and I like seeing it here. I like seeing her back in her element. Agree. I love I love that Raven has the, the ability to think outside the box mm-hmm. and to think about all the things that have that should be impossible that are just like her uh, her her ability to believe in potential um, and to see the potential in so many things is like her finest attribute mm-hmm. and it's it's fun when we get to see that side of her yeah um <laughs> jordan is like oh is this alien and then she responds all we're all aliens now which is like so true Raven. it's true so true it kind of reminds me of last season when they caught a bug miller and jackson caught a bug and they're like it's an alien bug and they're like well actually we're the aliens Indeed. <laughs> and raven's just like so excited about all this tech she's excited about the the planets she's excited about the wormhole she's excited about going every you know he's like what is it and she's like it's everything you know it's truly an expansive universe and like a playground for her and she can see it all yeah at her fingertips it's amazing and i also love the way that they fight over this helmet like children like jordan's like i want to turn and she's like (laughs) not yet not yet (laughs) and i just like Lindsay. Lindsay has such she's so amazing and she has such a great delivery here jordan's like no way and then she's like yes way and it's like she emphasizes every word of yes way it's not just like yes way it's like yes pause way pause and it's like that's that's great delivery this is perfect <laughs> um i do feel bad for poor clark that the only photo they seem to have of her or at least the one that they use for her profile pic is her absolute worst hair photo it's back from like season three it's like did you have to pick your season three hair, which it does actually lead me to wonder if something that she did in season three, which was when Allie was kind of running rampant, is what they're after. Yeah, that's, um, a good, that's a good point. And so, again, it just leads me back to, like, is the connection going to be Clark 
um, dealing with Allie. I have no idea, but I like that theory. And I don't know how Allie would possibly be around or, like, be relevant anymore. But Raven did mention her in this season. um, In the first episode. So, I don't know, man. I don't know. Um, I am confused in the scene that the anomaly can be programmed to go anywhere or if it's like it only connects with a few specific planets. I know that we've had this question before. I don't feel like it's been answered yet. No, I don't think it's been answered yet either. And I'm, I mean, obviously, you need an anomaly stone to have the bridge work. Mm-hmm. I just like, where did they come from? How many planets have them? Are there more planets out there? Like, I just don't think we have a good answer for any of this yeah and what well I guess my question too again was is the anomaly stone making the anomaly work like did the anomaly stone come first or did the anomaly come first and the stone is used to control it I feel like the stone is used to control it I think the wormhole exists let's just call it through physics and uh the anomaly stones were created in order to control it and use it as a conduit yeah i agree i think the same i think that the anomaly stones are how they've like gained access to the powers of the wormhole as we can see later they destroy the anomaly stone or they deactivate it and it they're not fearful of it negatively harming the bridge um the wormhole Mm -hmm. and i feel like if if the anomaly stones were the reason why they existed, then they would need to keep them all intact. Well, they wouldn't necessarily... If the anomaly connects um, Sanctum to Skyring, they don't necessarily need that connection right now. You know what I mean? Yes, but what I'm saying is, like, he didn't seem afraid of the fact that, like, deactivating one of them could, like, harm it in any way. True, but I, I feel like... I, I, like, I feel like with the way that I understand that the anomaly and the time stones work... I wouldn't expect that it would. It just seems like it might damage the the um, bridge between those two specific planets. But then again, I mean, we see here in this episode that the anomaly can be programmed to take you to different planets yeah. that aren't like the direct connection. That's it's not why. like just walking into the anomaly. Um, so I, I honestly, I don't, I don't freaking know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's all to say that I do not know. <laughs> Um, when Raven selects one of the symbols, though, she um, selects a symbol that she saw on the dead girl on the dead time pirate's face, and it lets her see the galaxy, and it shows her how everything connects, and I'm just like, what does that symbol mean, especially now that we know, or I guess seem to know, that those symbols connect to the different levels, so... For example, Dev had seven symbols on his face. Orlando had 12 symbols on his face. I didn't count how many this girl had, actually. I didn't count either. I'm also wondering, are the symbol, does this, does each symbol symbolize a level? Like, so for example, are the first seven of, are Dev's tattoos and the first seven of Orlando's tattoos identical? Or do, are they all in different orders depending on like the different things that you've done? Oh, we should have checked that. That's a great question. I will look into that. Because yeah. um, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm just curious if like the symbols are level indicate a level or they indicate something personal because there does seem to be from the way that I've um analyzed photos of I think the guy might be Anders next scene the guy who like plays Damien Dark on Arrow yeah, um, yeah. he seems like he'll be one of the bigger bads of this season and then Levitt who plays I don't know his assistant the or one. the hot one <laughs> so Levitt I think was an, a level 11 I believe he might have been level That's 10 um but the way his symbols were set up were like in the same pattern as the guy in white whose symbols who who was a level 12 and like he mm-hmm. just had an extra symbol so like it seems like there's like three on your cheek um and kind of like a triangle formation and there's like a big line across your forehead and then like a couple 
above one of the lines or one of the like symbols on your forehead. That seems to be like the general placement. So I'm going to go back and check all of that again and see if like it's the same symbols in all the same places or what. Um, okay. But yeah, that's a great question. Cool. I, I made a good one. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Uh, obviously Clark is a target for the time pirates, which I'm just like, duh. Of course. Everyone wants Clark. Obviously. <laughs> And I also think another important thing to talk about here, totally switching gears, uh, <laughs> now that we're back over in Skyring, is best look of the season. Gabriel is in a tank top. Yep. And I just kind of passed out. 11 out of 10. <laughs> 12 out of 10. It It's a lot. <laughs> I love this look. Um, and Gabriel and Echo here are a comedic duo with Echo like trying to teach them how to fight and she like comes out and attacks Gabriel and he's like hey I'm invisible you're the one who's dead and that hurt <laughs> and that hurt <laughs> yeah they're like Abbott and Costello they oh, have like gosh. a whole bit set up here it's so good and I also love like this whole bit with Echo here there's some really great character work happening and I I really love it all I love that she's so annoyed at their predicament that she picks a fight with Orlando I love that her training and superior, you know, superior thinking in her training as an Asgeta spy leads her to believe that she can win against this old man who seems crazy to her. I love that he is in tip-top shape and kicks her ass. Yeah. Um, I'm also curious about that. It, he says later that he's never been in battle, but he is, like, really, really good fighter. Well, I don't think you have to be in battle to be a good fighter. I mean, I think him learning one-on-one -on -one, um, his entire life or, you know, like him learning different fighting styles or whatever the hell they do because I don't know. Yeah. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean, like, even that he would be good in battle, but he's good fighting, sparring, essentially. Okay. I can buy that. Um, I did think it was interesting that we didn't get to see Echo get her ass kicked. We saw, like, a little bit of it, but not kind of the full thing. Um, and so I was wondering about that choice and, and why – they decided to make it because he says to Echo, like right before he kicks her ass, that if you're not scared by level 12, it's because you don't know what we can do. Oh, so you think that they were like purposely hiding his abilities? Not necessarily. Um, it just did make me wonder because I'm like, well, what can you do? Like, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, I, I actually just interpreted this to mean that like they have powers and access to powers that like she doesn't quite understand yet with like the whole time thing. Um, and I also feel like the reason why they did this cut, and I talk about this here, is like this was hilarious editing work. Like they did this for that for the payoff, right? They like set it up where they're like gonna spar, they're gonna fight, and then the next thing you see is the three of them sleeping outside, <laughs> like in their summer camp. Like it's so funny. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I I think that this scene could serve two different. Um, it's very possible functions. I just I I really want to see how Orlando moves. Like we didn't even get to see later any sort of training montage. Yeah. Um, with how with him teaching them to fight. I just I don't know. I I I'm I'm curious to learn more about level twelve. Um, and I wish that we got more of it with Orlando specifically because he's you know a very enigmatic character. And I I just I yeah I wanted to know more. <laughs> I get it. And I wanted to see Echo get her ass kicked because as much as I love her, that would be hilarious. <laughs> and she needed a beating yeah. a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Um, so we learn here that the reason that Hope and Octavia didn't have their memories was not because of the anomaly, but instead because of what the Bardoans did to them. But if that's the case, I guess, I'm very confused about how Hope gets her memories back when she travels to Skyring. And 
is it possible that she was faking it the whole time? I don't think so. I mean, we know that the anomaly does something funny to memory because they force Octavia and Dioza to put the helmets on when they capture them. Oh, that's true. That's a good point. I think the reason why... I don't actually think the reasons why they lost their memories is because of the torture. I think it's because of the anomaly. And I think those two things are unrelated, but just also both happen to affect your memory. I think the reason why the memory capture exists in the first place is like they probably like experienced this in the anomaly and then it gave them a re- they needed a reason to retrieve memories is because they lost them and so this that's why this piece of technology was initially created but then they've now of course weaponized it mm-hmm. um i do like the idea of them storing memories like they take your memories maybe so you'll be able to fight and not have anything holding you back and then they just like hold your memories like i do feel like memory capture I could, I'm, I'm about 60-40, maybe 70-30 of that you actually do, like, when they take your memories, like, you don't remember them anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think it, like, you can get them back, but it just feels like when you say memory capture, that they're, like, literally they're stealing, them. stealing them. Yeah. And that could also bring up some really interesting ideas later on about what's going on with Dioza, what's going to go on with uh, Bellamy. Yeah. Um, I love the idea of Bellamy, like having his memory stolen them having to like fight for him to remember them again like there's like so much you can do with that that would be really emotional and really wonderful and I hope that it happens um but I'm also I think this is something we're going to get answered next episode with Octavia so we'll see you know how they treat her and and if she's able to retain her memories when they take them um and so this will be this will be answered then yeah and I'm really excited to looking forward to it I think it's interesting too that Echo is clearly terrified that Bellamy will resist just as Octavia and Diosa did but instead of like that triggering a fear of what will happen to him and like the pain that he will be in what she says is that she's worried um she doesn't know what she'll do without him and that's recenters this whole piece of dialogue around her and her growth and like her position and her placement in the world and not about Bellamy and the torture which I think is really interesting um, and like a, another signal of like what they can do and how they can grow Echo as a character. Yeah, um, I'm definitely going to delve a little bit more into this at the end of the episode. So um, just keep this in mind, readers, because I think that I agree that it is an interesting phrase that she says here. Um, and I think it has a lot of implications about her feelings for Bellamy and, and where we're going to see those go later on this season. Yeah. Um, Hope did say that her mother apparently resisted MCAT memory capture. What do we think this means? That she doesn't know, but her mom apparently did? Yeah, I don't know if that means that she was, like, shown, as, like, she was captured and then shown videos of her mom being tortured as, like, a means to, like, get her to talk or Mm -hmm. to... Uh, go and retrieve Octavia like I don't know if this was used as like a video as like threatening her and so that she like sees like the kind of torture her mom is in I don't know if this means that like she runs into Dioza and Dioza doesn't remember yeah, her. Yeah that's kind of what I feel is I I would like for them to use that as kind of a torture for Hope is for them to take her to see her mother and Dioza has no memory of her. That would be horrific. That would be horrific. I don't know if I could handle that. That would be awful. Truly but- like 
I don't know. But I have to believe that obviously they can get their memories back. Um, and maybe that is part of what Hope will be fighting for is like having her mother remember her again, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then at the end of the scene, there's just a really cute, like, they all say goodnight to each other. And then Hope goes, goodnight, Orlando. It's so cute. And he, like, comes out and kind of, like, watches them out in the garden. It's, and it's very just, sweet. It's so sweet. It's so cute. <laughs> and it did look like summer camp. Yeah. And the three of them, again, they're, like, the three best friends. that They look so cozy so together. Funny. With their, like, little sleeping bags next to each and other. And their fire. <laughs> I'm into it. I, I definitely want to camp out with these three. I would like to camp out with Gabriel, but I well, would like I mean, it to just be me and Gabriel. <laughs> that's a different kind of camp out. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Orlando's praying when Gabriel comes into the cabin and brings him some vegetables. Gabriel, who's some experience with false gods, tries to talk Orlando into realizing that his own god is a man and that it seems like what he says strikes a chord with Orlando. Later, as Hope, Gabriel, and Echo are training, Orlando tells them that he'll help them as long as they do their best not to kill any of the disciples. So first off, you carry those vegetables, Gabriel. Looking <laughs> mighty fine. Mighty fine. I love me a man who really appreciates his greens. Yep. And it shows. <laughs> yeah. Clearly. Um, Orlando is like, are you a doctor? And he's like, yes. So listen to me. And I'm like, are you a doctor, Gabriel? Or do you just have a doctorate? I mean, that's the question. I can't remember what he was actually brought on to do. I feel like he is not a medical doctor. I don't I don't believe that man has ever practiced medicine. <laughs> just because he's not a medical doctor, he could have a PhD in medical things. Like, you don't know his life. I don't know his life, but I really feel like Orlando was like, are you a doctor? And he's like, yes, <laughs> I am. Technically, yes, I am. Yes. <laughs> I am a do- doctor. <laughs> that is what I am. Sure. <laughs> um, so, guys. Oh, boy. Orlando's praying, and he says that the shepherd, quote-unquote, saved us from the fire that consumed the earth. And this is where she went, like, catatonic and started, like, hitting things. Catagon is rising. He is rising. Like, there is, there is there any other explanation for this? No, there is not. I, but I have said that every time that you've come up with a category. I'm like, that sounds great to me. I am fully on board. I'm buy, I buy into your theories so much that I believe they're canon. So like, <laughs> at this point, I'm not the right person to ask. We are. I just, I can like almost taste it. I feel like I'm simultaneously like making fun of you for this, but also I'm like your biggest cheerleader because like all I want for you is for Cadigan to come Thank back. you. I feel, I just feel like it's coming. It's just like right out of reach, but he's right there. He's so close. And I think he's living on that as yet unnamed planet. I, I just, I feel it in my bones. <laughs> and, and he is the shepherd who will not be named. And he is, what if like, I end up just thinking he's like a terrible character, you know? I mean, like, obviously he's going to like be a terrible person, but like, I want him to be an interesting character to watch. I don't know, man. And if he's not, what happens, then like I'll you just... live long enough to see. Exactly. <laughs> you live long enough to see your heroes become the, I mean, like he was always my villain, but like he was a heroic villain to me. <laughs> Or a dynamic villain, at least. I just want him to be, like, a cool cult leader and not just, like, boring, like, Joe Schmo. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the actor who played him in season four, um, John Piper Ferguson, is a really good character actor. And I've seen him in other stuff. And I think he's really great. So... I have to believe that as long as they write Cadigan well, that, like, it'll be pulled off. And like you said before, when you thought Orlando was Cadigan, they could recast him. They could recast him, but 
I did see unproven inklings that John Piper Ferguson was filming in Vancouver around this season. So just saying, I think it's possible. Yes. And I would like him to reprise his role if at all, you know, if at all possible, just because that's kind of the face that I know for Cadigan. Although I will say that at this point, it had to have been like a certain number of years, I guess. So yeah. maybe he's, maybe they had to like they, recast someone they could old. Age him. Or they could age him like they aged Monty. <laughs> <laughs> that was oh, terrible. That was really bad. That was really bad. Woof. <laughs> um. So yeah, not a lot to say about there except Cadigan's coming back, guys. It's it's happening. Very it's happening. Excited. Very excited. It's like you. that um office quote. Like it's happening. Yep, it's happening. Yep. Everyone, stay calm. <laughs> stay it's calm. Happening. Um. So Gabriel does a really good job here, planting doubt into Orlando's mind. Uh. You know, Orlando's a really kind man from what we see here, and Gabriel kind of points out to him the ways in which his quote-unquote God's um, punishments are flawed and they're unkind. Um, And it definitely seems like Orlando is in taking it. Yes, I agree. I thought this was an amazing piece of dialogue. This was definitely the most interesting thing about this episode for me. And this is, what, again, how you and I are so different um, and very complimentary. No, I loved this no, part no, of the episode. But I, but I also love the I also love the the anomaly stuff. Um, I just, like, this was the most exciting for me. I was, I was into this scene. I loved <laughs> it. I thought, you know, what an amazing way to sort of ground everything that this show is about um, and this idea of, like, war and killing each other and your people and like the terrible decisions that you have to do and then put it in this very specific context and have it be about changing somebody's mind to do the right thing you know um Gabriel says here he says weak men allow other men to get them to do horrible things and that is how you know the war that the war that destroyed earth happened in God's name and I just I like this idea that um, it's not weakness to stand it's not you know strength is not just about following your faith and your strength and your faith but it's about you know finding your own humanity and figuring out what the right thing to do is for yourself and your individualism and it just this was just a brilliant scene I just thought the whole thing was awesome 10 10 agreed I really do I do think it's interesting that that Gabriel like puts such an emphasis on this idea of false gods he says it here and it just made me wonder if this section was originally planned for episode three which was called false gods and just maybe things got moved around in the editing room um I feel like it probably wasn't just because I don't see where there would have been room for it well I Um, feel like they probably had like originally shifted a lot of stuff around sure but I I it seemed like Episode three was very much intended to be um, not on Skyring, and episode two was like on Skyring, and I, I do think they filmed those two like out of um, sync with one another because we even know that they got those episode um, numbers confused when they announced the, the episodes. Sure. But I, I mean, we we actually had someone say false gods or false god in episode three as well, and so I think that that was kind of the introduction for this idea, and then in this episode we're seeing that continued and we'll continue to see that continue throughout for sure. the I season. I definitely think it's a major theme especially since the introduction of Sanctum last season um, it just felt like 
such an important moment that I'm still wondering if like they're in their earliest imaginings of this season if they hadn't split up the original episodes like fully um, on Skyring versus Sanctum and if they had integrated them a little more. Maybe. I I think at this point they would have written those other two though before. So maybe. I'm not, I don't know. Um, Enjoy your salad though really is quite a mic drop. It is. BDE energy (laughs) happening here. (laughs) Uh, so when Orlando agrees to help, Echo makes it clear that they can't promise that um, no disciples will die and they'll only try their best not to. And Orlando accepts this really easily, which makes me think that he must have had experience before with, you know, people dying. And he's never been in battle, but he like accepts it so easily that you think that he has experienced something like it that yeah. he's had to kill when he didn't want to or something along those lines i agree i thought that it was really weird how he was like done accepted like he didn't even want to talk about it like yeah. it was fine i thought that was strange too um and it truly is a crime that we didn't get a training montage with orlando because that would have been excellent Ugh. and like a haircutting mon like truly like the whole i wanted a whole five-year montage yeah and i wanted it to be the tra- soundtrack to rocky like bump <laughs> Bum, no, bum, I want bum. it to be the soundtrack to Mulan. Let's oh. get down to this. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you wanted it to be the soundtrack from Hercules. For- <laughs> <laughs> I'm good with that Pick too. Pick your Disney reference. <laughs> <laughs> so it is now five years later, and there's only one day left until the disciples come to retrieve Orlando. Orlando's painting on the anomaly symbols to everyone's faces, and the group seems like they've grown very close. However, when the disciples do come, Hope ends up having to kill one of them who was about to kill Echo, and Orlando is visibly distraught by this. Echo realizes that Orlando won't be able to help them do what needs to be done, and so she kills all of the disciples, and they leave Orlando behind on Skyring. Yeah, so I am into their matching haircuts. They look great. I mean... I, number one, did not like Hope's hair very much earlier this season, so now she looks much better. Um, I love Deco's hair, but I love this new haircut as well. I think she looks like a bamf, so. They look great. Yeah. I'm curious, are these haircuts just for, like, fitting inside the helmet easier, or is this, like, a standard haircut on Bardo to help them, like, assimilate? I truly don't know. It could just be that, like, they were tired of dealing with long hair. (laughs) Absolutely. Which is valid. <laughs> um, but I'm sure we'll probably figure that out pretty soon when we see Bardo and just kind of get a look of what the the people um, actually wear and, and look like. Yeah. Um, and especially the women, not that men can't have long hair, but it tends to be more common in our society, at least, the women have the longer hair. So we haven't really seen any behind the scenes um, photos of women yet from Bardo um, that aren't wearing helmets. Yeah. So, so, yeah, yeah. No, I'm just really curious. What yeah, their I'm, style I'm curious is be. too. Uh, so I really love getting a glimpse here into the dynamic between Hope, Gabriel, Echo, and Orlando five years later. And it's a it lot is, of syllables. It is. It is a lot of names. It's very clear um, that they have a like nice kind of easy friendship. Um, they're all kind of joking around. I do wish, kind of going along with that training montage that I wanted, um, I wish that we could see a little bit more of how this developed because I think. I'm, I'm going to be trying really hard to um, parse out Echo's decision, and I think getting more context here could have helped me understand it. I absolutely agree. I think it's clear what's missing from this section if you compare it to the montage at the beginning um, where everything was shown and not told, and here it's the opposite where they, they tell us they've become a family, 
Um, but we don't see the beats necessary mm-hmm. to form those connections and to f- truly feel the weight of them. I think this, epi- I mean, I think this scene in particular where Orlando is painting um, their symbols on and they're joking with him and he tells them that he's going to miss them and all this stuff does a great job s- establishing their uh, collective relationship with Orlando. Mm-hmm. But a not their individual relationships with Orlando and certainly not their individual relationships with each other and I think that we're just supposed to take for granted that all three of them have grown incredibly close and they've also grown incredibly close to Orlando I just don't think this scene does enough in that area to fully make that hit for me yeah and I think that's one of the weakest parts of this episode and I know they can do it because they literally did it at the beginning of the episode yeah, it's almost like they spent so much time um, getting Orlando onto their side in this episode that they could have maybe done that a little quicker and then included, you know, more of the growth over those five years. I agree. I think it was unbalanced. But for sure. It is what it is. Um, Orlando tells them that if all of his trainees were as determined as them, the war to end all wars would be a lot easier. And there we go again. It's that like that war, that idea of war. Orlando himself hasn't even been in battle, but there's like a war that's happening or a war that's coming. And also like what what is your definition of war? Yeah. Because it's like is is the war like two opposing sides that are like equally weaponized with like equal amounts like the equal technology weapon or are you looking at this as like an extermination? Like what does war mean to you? I'm confused. I'd like to know. <laughs> Um, at least we get a little bit more of an answer about why people's tattoos are like why some of them are permanent and why some of them wash off. Yeah. Um, and it seems like all of the Bardoans have permanent tattoos on their face, but the reason that Hopes was washing off and Echoes was washing off was because they were fake. Yeah. They were spies. <laughs> are, ta- are Octavia's tattoos real? I think Octavia's tattoos seem real yeah. because she had them for several days and they didn't seem to be like smearing or anything. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know why... I feel like they, the Bardoans, must have tattooed those on her back so that she could bring Hope over for whatever reason. We still don't know much about what is happening there, but I'm sure we'll find out very soon. Maybe next episode. So Yeah. No, it's true. It's good intel on the tattoos. Yeah. Um, Apparently, Gabriel is always eating a man after my own heart. (laughs) Never loved him more. We saw him go after that jellyfish etouffee earlier on this episode. He's, you know, really loving the soup that he's eating here, too. I, I get it, man. And switching gears here, I really loved that they wanted Orlando to come back to Sanctum with them. And Echo's, like, joking that he would miss them. And it was very sweet. And honestly, like, even just talking about this scene is really starting to upset me because of what happens, you know? No, and I think this is what I was talking about earlier, where they do a good job of establishing how much Orlando means to them. Mm -hmm. I just don't get how much they mean to each other. Yeah. Um, And this was really sweet. And really a great color for Echo. I think this is like the most sentimental and the softest we've ever seen of Echo. Yeah. Which I love. I love seeing this side of her. Then we get a nice 180. Then everything (laughs) goes to shit. Um, Speaking of when things go to shit. Uh Uh-huh. So we see um, the Bardoans, the Time Pirates, come back to collect Orlando. But before they can go into ghost mode, um, our trio attack them. And blow the blow up their gadgets to go into ghost mode, and I'm I'm wondering if this is jellyfish powder. Is this the same powder that they used in the fire at the fire the summer the fire camp? 
Um, I really love that you brought this up because honestly, I did not give it a second thought. Um, but I think it must be like, I think that must be why they brought that up in the campfire scene. Yeah. Cause they said it, be careful. That stuff is dangerous. Yeah. And then we see here that it looks just like, like a little like leather pouch with particles in it that are incendiary. Oh, I didn't even see what the, po- oh, you mean when they, in the campfire scene? Yeah. No, oh. no, no. Well, yes, in the campfire scene, but also when they blow up the, the ghosts. Well, how did you see that? There's like this, like, it looks like they just like throw a, well, it, it, they throw something that's on fire. We don't know what they throw. So anyway, um, I think it's the jelly. I'm I'm calling it now. I think it's jellyfish. Powder. I mean, I guess I don't know what other kind of like propulsive um thing they had to weaponize. So yeah, I don't think they have bullets here. I'm so. with you. I think it's probably the jellyfish. Those things are very very versatile. Man, they are got so many functions. <laughs> Um, and then we see here sort of a sim- symmetry bookend to the beginning of this episode that Hope has now learned from her past mistake with Dev and kills without hesitation to save her new family on Skyring, which is Echo. Um, and it's obvious that the memory of what happened last time still affects her heavily and she will not make that mistake again. And, ag- and I agree with you that if this is the first time that she's killed, that she's taken a life, it happened very quickly. Uh, and I would have liked to have seen a little bit more character work happening here, mm-hmm. if that's the case. Um, and I also think that when Echo realizes what happened here, and then she like goes up to Hope, they touch their foreheads, and it's supposed to be this like very emotional, like, we are sisters, we are bonded, blah, blah, blah. Because all of that emotional work of them connecting as a family had not been established, I didn't buy into this. This felt super awkward to me. I definitely agree. This, I, it just felt like a move. Like, what? Who, who wrote that? It's so <laughs> weird. But I feel like if it was something that we had seen before, or or not, or just like had more time to live with these characters and see them grow as sisters, as family then I would have a less of a problem with it. But again, it felt very clunky. It was just a weird move. It was a really weird move. And at first I thought it was almost romantic. It did not seem romantic to me at all. Um, no, it, it definitely I, felt like a camaraderie thing. Yes, but yes, I agree. Because it was so strange, I was like, where are they going with this? Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought it was weird. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's get into the echo of it all. Yeah. Um, I, I'm trying really hard to kind of logically understand what Echo does in the scene, how I feel about it. Um, I do hope that we get further context on her mental state in later episodes. I, I really want this choice that she makes to have like consequences, you know? Yes. Um, if it doesn't have any meaning, then it's kind of like their time here on Skyrim was just a, a waste. Um, I think we really have to show that you know, she is betraying someone right now who she's known and lived with for five years and who's taught her um, essentially how to save Bellamy. And, and this fact and, and her knowing that leaving him means he's going to be here alone for who knows how long, maybe like for the rest of his life. And also we saw the state he was in when he had been here alone before. We know what fate she's condemning him to. Yeah. She knows what fate she's condemning him to. I mean, I guess the, the question, and I'll pose it to you first, um, do we think that Echo was right and that Orlando would have betrayed them uh, when he came with them? I think that's a really tricky question. I don't like the word betrayal. Um I guess there's no other way to call it that. I agree with her that it would have been incredibly, I think a lot more challenging than they were originally want to believe that he would um, not seek out 
hit hit people from his old life and that pull wouldn't wouldn't be as strong as maybe they that they it would be Mm -hmm. I think it would have been incredibly difficult for him to be back in that environment with the people who he grew up with and who he served with and not feel that temptation and I am not sure that he would not have been given that he wouldn't have given into it do I think that that means that that she was right in leaving him behind I don't know I don't think so um but I don't necessarily think she's wrong either. The only way that I'm really able to contextualize this decision of hers um, is by comparing it to what Clark did back in season four when she took the bunker um, and kidnapped Bellamy and then ended up locking Kane and Octavia and the rest of them outside. Mm-hmm. Um, it was with a decision that really, I think, tore apart a lot of the fandom. People had very different feelings on it. Um, for me, I definitely felt like, oh, that's pretty cold. But at the same time, I think that was probably the best decision that she could have made at that time um, to have the outcome of humanity surviving. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, like we, she didn't get the further context that Octavia won that battle. And so she didn't know, like as far as she assumed, Luna was probably going to win and then like no one would take the bunker. Yeah. So it's better that some people take it than no one. So like it was one of those decisions that like, was harsh but I understood when you really logic it out um and the more I think about it the more that this feels uh kind of the same Mm -hmm. in a way of like you're hurting people that you care about um but I do I do feel like Echo was right in the sense that I don't think Orlando once he's back home would be able to go through with everything um if they come up against any sort of problems i think orlando would eventually be swayed back to um his side like i think he would try to help i just feel like it would not be successful at the same time um it's it's hard it's it's let me just kind of jump in a little bit into like what I'm feeling about Echo's mind space right now. Um, and it relates back to what you had pointed out earlier at the campfire scene mm-hmm. when Echo's like, I don't know what I'd do without Bellamy. I feel like at this point, now that it's been five years, I don't think Echo really knows what she's fighting for anymore. Mm-hmm. I think that Bellamy and like saving Bellamy has become much less of like I need to save this person and much more of like an idea for her of everything that Bellamy represents and to me I truly believe that Bellamy represents Echo's old self her her spy self with Asgata you know she has always when there's been kind of like a, a loss of a person in power in her life um, she's been just pulled to another person of, in power you know yeah. it went straight from um, the Ice Queen to Roan to eventually Bellamy she like has attached herself to different people throughout all of this time because she doesn't know how to like lead herself yeah like she needs to follow yeah and so i feel like her um attachment to bellamy is not truly love it's never felt that way to me field it's never felt that way to me yeah um, I, I think it's much more about like her looking up to him as her leader um, and her being devoted to him as her leader. And yeah. in the same way that, you know, she she thinks she loves him, I think it's much more of like, I have to save my leader right now. Well, I would go even one step further than that. And I love, I love that analysis. And I think you're an absolutely right. I do think that the idea of Bellamy is more of a construct in her mind than actually about Bellamy as a person. I would go further and say that it's it's not even about saving needing to save him as a leader which I do think is part of it but I also think it's like 
without Bellamy, she's truly lost. Yeah. She doesn't have a direction. And he's, like, literally, like, her lifeline. Like, well, a lifeboat. Yeah. He's a lifeboat. That's, he- like, what I was about to get to is, like, that's why she's so driven to get to Bellamy because it's, like, she doesn't know what else to do with herself. Right. Um, without and, fulfilling this mission. And also, he's always had purpose. He's always had um, drive and direction. And he is, like, a really straight moral co- – well, Right. Let's not get carried away here. He did murder 300 people. He has a very specific <laughs> sense of morality. And um, I think that sense of um, confidence and rightness that Bellamy exudes as a leader is something that is very attractive to Echo, who does not know how to lead herself mm-hmm. and drive herself. And she doesn't have a direction. And so it's very attractive to her. And right now, when she's been stuck sort of treading water, she has nowhere else to go other than to Bellamy and so it's more of like you know it's like an arrow straight to him exactly and for me the way I'm able to logic this decision out is that the only thing that's more powerful than your connection to individual people is your overall feeling of a purpose yeah um and so I think that that is why Echo's able to like I mean like let's be honest she's betraying Orlando here Uh um she's this is a horrible thing to do to him um but I think that it's because of that like single-minded purpose that she's able to put aside her feelings for Orlando and do this yeah yeah I don't I don't disagree with you I think that's all very true it's very hard for me to relate to anything Echo is doing here because I truly can't imagine living with someone for five years and then leaving them behind I just it's like doesn't seem humanly possible for me yeah well I mean I I feel the same way I always say that there are parts of me that I like definitely relate to Echo with this is not one of them them. and I don't think um but it doesn't have to right like that's what makes her a complex and interesting character I'm not condemning her as a character Mm -hmm. here I'm just saying like this is something this is like a, a stretch for me in relativity yeah, I, I just keep thinking of, you know, I think that Clark and Echo are really um, good characters to juxtapose because in some ways they're very similar and in other ways they're really different yeah. about the ways that they handle conflict and situations. Um, I don't see Clark making the same choice. I don't either. Um, because for Clark, like, I think protecting her people is her purpose. And, like, once you become her people, you are her people. Right, you that's know? what I was going to say. At no point would there be a differentiation of orlando versus her people Mm -hmm. he's he would have become part of her people at this point yeah which i think is also really interesting that echo still has this idea of us versus them so deeply embedded and ingrained in her dna that she can't let it go i mean it makes sense because that's how she was raised exactly and that's not in the same way how clark was raised no no not at all and it makes i mean it does speak to both of their characters um but it's fascinating um, just one last line here about this specific situation is Gabriel's like saying like, no way we can't leave Orlando. He's our friend. And Echo says, yes. And like the way she says it is like so gutting because it's you like her you truly feel like she like understands like, yes, he is my friend. And a, yes, I still have to do this. Yeah. Um, and God, it's just, ah, oh, this whole scene, it hurts me really bad. It hurts. <laughs> you no, know, it's, it's devastating and switching gears a little bit. I'm curious. I want to talk about the other two. So, like, Echo makes this decision and is going to stick by it. And she makes it almost unanimously, unilaterally for the group. Mm-hmm. And Gabriel puts up a fight, but not a really big one. And I'm just curious, like, what is Gabriel's motivation here? Because I can say the same thing about him. Like, you've just lived with this person and grown to be a family with them for five years. So, is it just to, like, are you willing to leave him behind just to sate your curiosity? Because if that's the case, that sucks. 
Yeah, Gabriel was the one that I had the hardest time with here because the other two, um, for better or for worse, have people that they need to save. Yeah. Like, they have that that purpose, that drive. Um, but with Gabriel, like, he truly is just, like, along for the ride. He wants to learn more about the anomaly. And so this just didn't sit right with me. No, um, it's very weak and not attractive. I don't know if Gabriel just, like, thought that Echo would, like, kill him if he tried to like get him loose or I, I I like I it wasn't we didn't get enough context here because things were so um just like happening at lightning speed yeah um and maybe we will in the next episode that we see them yeah, I, do, I will hope I hope so because I feel I, like Hope and, and Gabriel are not gonna be pleased with what they just did no I agree and speaking of Hope I, I I know I get what you're saying about her having people to save and I don't disagree that that is an enormous her primary goal here and takes precedence over almost anything but I do have a little bit of a hard time reconciling the idea that Hope would willingly leave someone behind who is like in a lot of ways like a dev surrogate to her especially after what happened to dev and her complicity in what happened to dev I feel like that's like a weird choice where she like couldn't bring dev with her last time because he died and yet she is willing to leave this person behind even though there's like a very, very similar parallel happening here. So I don't know. I'm having a hard time with all three of them. I can I, I can rationalize Hope and Echo more than Gabriel, but I still think thematically in this episode, it's a weird choice for Hope to leave him behind. I agree. Um, and I you had mentioned that Hope was like crying at this point, and yeah. I missed that. So she like her tears, like there were tears welled in her. She wasn't crying. Tears did not drop. Let's be clear. Mm-hmm. Her eyes like welled up with okay. tears. I just I feel like because I missed that, that must have been like such a split second mm-hmm. thing that. I feel like out of all of them, Hope and Orlando had the closest bond. Absolutely. And so I, I like wanted to see more of how that affected her. And again, I realized that this all happened very fast and we're going to have to like see the consequences of this play out once they get to Bardo. Um, and I do feel like there will be a reckoning in some way for Echo for making this choice. I think that Gabriel and um, Hope will have to reckon with themselves and deal with their anger at Echo. Yeah, I mean, um, especially because at this point, they all believe they're just condemning him to a life of loneliness. What they don't realize, and what is something we learn, is that he, he commits suicide. Yeah. Which I can't even imagine the guilt that they're about to feel about that. Especially Echo. I Like, honestly, this, this episode... I mean, one of the reasons I love this episode is because... We get two new characters that are introduced. I mean, I guess um, Dev was introduced, or not Dev, um, Orlando was introduced in episode two, but like... Not really. Not really. Like, we barely saw him at all. Um, So, like, these are... Dev and Orlando, like, this is the episode we get to know them, and we don't get to know much of them, but, like, in that short time, I became so attached to both of these two characters. Yeah, I agree. It, like, works. I think it's pretty great writing in the sense that um, they did... Like, they did a lot with so little, you know? Do I think it was perfect? Absolutely not. I think there were a lot of things that could have been done, especially with the Orlando side of it. Um, But just, like, the fact that, like, I cared so much about Devin Orlando, and I still do, and I'm, like, having a hard time talking about it. Like, it feels like a character that we know and love for years has just died, you know? know. (laughs) I feel the same way. And just to add to that, Darren Moore, who plays Orlando, is such an amazing actor. I mean... The transformation that he does in this episode and then the, you know, the way that he conveys his agony in this last scene, he does so much work 
being bound and gagged like he only has his eyes to convey all of this and to express it and yet you feel all of it like you are there with him and it brings you to tears like you're crying with him it's incredible work and I'm sad that we got to spend so little time with him and that he's not going to be able to be as this this amazing for the rest of the season and the rest of the series like I'm going to miss him I think he was a great addition um yeah (laughs) <laughs> Can I ask one question that's kind of now occurring to me? Mm. So Echo kills all of the disciples. Why does she do that? She says in the episode that it's because he would tell them everything. But why does that matter? Be, you know, because like by the time that they tell him everything and like they'd already be on Bardo. Like I don't, I don't think these disciples have a way to get back to Bardo, do they? Well, I think they were thinking that once it became apparent that the rest of them were coming back, that Bardo would send people to collect them. Pretty yeah, quickly. but at that point, you know, like even if like minutes passed, years, years if pass. not like, you know, decades could have passed on, they could be dead by that. You know, like it's just like, it seems like, to, to use a pun, it seemed like overkill. <laughs> it did seem like overkill, but I, I think again, it was her, she was like in the moment, and it was like her Azgeta training kicking in. But I don't like that explanation. It's just, I don't know, like, it just seemed kind of like a waste when theoretically they should have been able to, like, I, don't, I, well, I just don't I think it was needed. I feel like if they've been planning this attack for five years, like, did, wouldn't they have talked about this eventuality that if things went south and one of them was killed, what they would do with the other four or five or however many were there? Uh, you know to, how would they deal with that eventuality like we know that they weren't planning on killing anybody but it was definitely a possibility you'd think they would have talked about it yeah I mean I think that it's possible they did talk about it um and at first Echo tries to tell Dev like or to tell Orlando like you know that she didn't mean it like you know it, it had to be done he would have killed or she would have killed me and and he's like Orlando's very distraught about it and that's when Echo makes her the switch yeah um and so it feels like they could have thought through this, but then emotions it. didn't come into it until they were here in this scene and they realized like, oh, he knows this girl. Like he trained this girl. That's a good point. It's true. Yeah. So I think at this, I guess it's just about like his loyalties and they couldn't take it. They couldn't risk it. But again, I don't like it. I don't like it. Let's get away from this scene because I don't ever want to think about it again. Yeah. So Clark meets Captain Meredith and his group at Gabriel's camp. Meredith tells her that her friends aren't on Skyring anymore and that they betrayed the man living there who later committed suicide. Clark's friends find themselves surrounded by time pirates, but Raven shows up at the last second and takes all the time pirates out herself. The group then heads down to the Anomaly Stone to save their friends. Raven picks a planet at random, and Gaia decides to stay back and keep an eye on things. But after Clark and the rest of the group enter the Anomaly, Gaia is knocked out, only to find a time pirate powering down the Anomaly Stone. She tries to stop him, but she ends up getting pulled into the Anomaly with him. So why did the group think they could get away with hiding in the forest with guns when they already knew Meredith's team had, like, invisibility suits? It was just a very poorly thought out plan. It was also just, like, it served, like, a lot of plot function. It was very contrived. And from Clark, I expect better. I I, expect better. I do, too. I thought this was really dumb. Which is another kind of, like, little way where I'm just like, this Clark's writing doesn't feel the best. Nope, nope. It's a little underwhelming Mm -hmm. all the time, just a little bit. Um, but Clark is so confident here. And what I love is that she's shocked to see that Captain Meredith, like when she points a gun at him, 
does not care if she kills him. Like, she expects him to back off when she has a gun pointed at him, but he just tells his followers, like, once she kills me, kill all her friends. Yeah. Like, he doesn't even blink at it. And I think Clark has never really faced someone like that before and someone that I think we're going to get um, a lot more context for later on, just the sense of these... Uh, cult members these disciples who don't see themselves as people they see themselves as like part of a greater whole and so like their selves don't matter the greater whole matters that's so interesting and I love that because I think that also ties in really well with what we were talking about when Orlando was like you don't know what we're capable of you should be scared of a level 12 because I think it's this idea of like it's not just what he can do what he's capable of and his fighting strategy it's like the power of all of them collectively Mm -hmm. and what they can do and the and the force that they can drive um as a unit um and I think that's something that Echo's never encountered Clark's never encountered this is like a whole new territory for us I mean it's it's definitely a level of unity that we haven't seen before in any of our villains you know yeah um so it's going to be interesting to come up against because it's kind of like a hive mind in many ways I know I was like you're gonna say the Borg aren't you I (laughs) I wasn't going to say the Borg, but it kind of could be. A little bit. I mean, I think they just all serve, they serve the shepherd. Exactly. Their lives are here for the shepherd to do with what he will. So um, I'm excited to see more of that and how that develops. Uh, Meredith on Clark, he says, it seems our intel was correct. You're smart, you're brave, you're willing to risk your own life. Too bad you're not willing to risk the lives of your friends. So this is intel that they must have gathered from... Again, either Octavia, Dioza, or um, Bellamy. Um, and it kind of leads me to wonder, like, is this, is there something hidden in what he says here um, that makes Clark the key? Um, definitely, like, standing out to me is you're willing to risk your own life. Like, it makes me wonder if what they're going to ask her to do is, like, either kind of like a suicide mission or is very likely going to end up in her own death death but will be like for the greater good yeah um I don't know and I can't wait to find out but yeah I liked that little bit there I liked this I liked this too I thought that was really cool and then Meredith goes on to say you know you know recounts the number of bodies that her people have killed at this point which is a lot uh now that we add the five on Bardo um that just tried to rescue or, or collect Orlando and I just have to say let's just not forget you started all this when you kidnapped them so like (laughs) whose fault is it really (laughs) it's a very interesting way to paint that picture it is it is at that um do we think that Orlando really did leave a suicide note and actually commit suicide because Meredith doesn't let her see it which I thought was interesting that he like showed it to her but wouldn't like give it to her I think he didn't give it to her because things kind of got out of hand here I do think he wrote the note I do think that that tracks with everything that we know um, about what happened on Skyring. And I think that is supposed to emotionally ring the the kind of the tra- tragedy that happened there. Like, I, I just, I don't feel like it's a good emotional um, trigger just because, like, Clark doesn't know this guy. It's not like they portrayed, like, Bellamy, you know? No, no, <laughs> sure. It's, it's. It doesn't work for Clark, but it works on us, the audience. Well, the the reason I ask this is because he Meredith tells her about this note, and then Clark's like, "Well, give it here. Let me see it." Um, and then he goes off to say, like, you know, we've tried to like be, you know deal with you well or mm-hmm. whatever the hell he says. Um, 
it's just like he purposefully doesn't want her to see the notes. It was, it was, I don't know. It was just like a weird deflection there. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's a weird setup and you could be totally right. I just, I, I don't know like what that would even why matter. why they would make it up, but yeah. Um, and we learn here that the Bardoans call Skyring penance, uh, which is not as fun as Skyring. Nope. <laughs> nope. That's a prison. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so Meredith threatens Clark here with MCAP, which is the memory capture, um, if she doesn't comply. And um, he says, either way, either you comply or you don't, you will serve the shepherd. Which is icky and pretty <laughs> creepy as fuck. Yeah. Uh, it makes me feel like this, like the way that he's been sort of painting this idea of like you can end the last human wars, this would be like a humanitarian effort on her part. And now it's starting to seem like he's going to use her as a weapon. And I don't love that. <laughs> I'm not surprised, but I don't love it. I mean, that does seem very um, expected for what yes. they might use Clark for. So I want to say, um, I wonder if the way that they turn people, like saying, like, if you don't comply, we'll still make you serve, is with this memory capture. So, like, they take away your memories until there's nothing left and then they just fill you up with the yeah. shepherd's teachings. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Um, which again makes me feel like this is something that might happen with Bellamy and I think this because number one it would be a good storytelling technique but number two um, and sorry this is like kind of a spoiler but not really so before the season started um, behind the scenes pictures not even behind the scenes pictures a picture got released from actually I think it was like a video got released from inside the makeup trailer mm -hmm. and on the wall were pictures of all the characters and like their different costumes and Bellamy's costume was him in this like all white outfit which is very very similar looking to what Levitt wears in the um next so episode true and so I'm like does Bellamy like become indoctrinated as like a disciple like do they take all his memories and like make him into one of these people and then like the group has to fight to save him yeah no, I think I love that. I, I mean, I don't love it, but I think that's a really interesting. Yeah, it would be devastating. It would. It would be very. It would be effective. Yeah, and I I'm excited about watching that. Play yeah. Out. Um. So yeah. Well, I mean, we'll get, we'll see what serving the shepherd means. But I agree with you that it is creepy AF. <laughs> yeah. Don't like it. Uh. And then Jordan just like comes in here, soups cash. Like, hey, hey Jordan, guys, what you doing? <laughs> oh, you know, saving all of you saving all of you as long as you get down <laughs> like okay Jordan <laughs> love it again I'm not mad at you Jordan I don't hate it um and I you know there's a there's another Pete there's another bit of Raven stuff happening here Jordan says you know he says something like great job blah 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 and then you know she says like none of I just killed like eight more people like none of this is good and so it's obvious that you know despite the fact that like she did this in order to save her friends and this felt urgent and necessary um adding more bodies to her body count you know is only adding and contributing to the way that she feels and her guilt um and that it weighs very heavily on her and so again this isn't enough for me but I appreciate at least that they gave two moments dedicated to this idea and didn't just leave it alone yeah I actually was I got again I felt a lot of hope seeing this scene and with Raven having to kill more people because after that Clark and Raven give each other this like little nod here mm -hmm. um, about like I know that what I did was terrible I'm gonna have to process it but right now let's go save our people yeah and it just it felt like that was like a very brief connection of Raven um, realizing that the things Clark has done 
have been for the same reasons of the things that Raven has just done, um, and that maybe she'll be able to give Clark more of the benefit of the doubt, and, and in some ways this will bring them closer together. Obviously not right now, because they don't have a lot of time, yes. um, but I would like to see a scene or two later on in the season where they get more of a chance to discuss this. Yeah, agreed. Um, moving on there at the anomaly stone they're looking at it and you know clark is ready ready to go everyone's like all right let's go and nyla is just coming in with you know really the right question here which is like what if this planet isn't survivable i mean what a great point you have no mask no suits no supplies nada you're just walking in there with nothing but the skin on your body and your your really weird leather jacket clark i mean (laughs) Why didn't they just go upstairs and grab the fucking suits before heading into the wormhole? You know, I mean, first off, that is an excellent question. They definitely, like, like Raven took the suit. Yeah. Like, they all should have taken the suits. Absolutely. Um, I would have liked it, or I would have believed this more if it was played um, with a little bit more desperation, especially from Clark's point of view that, like, her, like, other half, her best friend is in trouble and she has to go save him and she doesn't want to, like, wait another second. Like, she has to go. Absolutely agree with you. And again, the Bellamy-sized hole is very obvious here because without the Bellamy element, you lose that sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. You lose, again, that dimension of Clark where she starts to get frantic. It's like, it's not that she doesn't care about Echo and Octavia, but it's just that, like, it is canon that she cares about Bellamy more. Well, and it's also, like... We have established canonically that when it comes to Bellamy, she starts losing some of her logic. Mm-hmm. She starts using, she stops using reason and starts thinking go, with her emotions. Well, she just is a lot more emotional. Mm-hmm. And so if you are not specifically pointing to Bellamy, and if you're only making this about like the group of them, the, their, their people, again, she can't play it like that because she's not talking about it that way. And so, like, you lose that sense of urgency and then, therefore, this this whole scene doesn't work. Yeah, it, it doesn't it doesn't feel right, and I agree with you. I mean, I'm excited by the idea, um, and I'm also, like, 10 out of 10 agreeing with Miller, like, this planet sucks anyway, let's get off of it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that very deeply, Miller. Um, but this this whole scene, I felt, could have been played with a lot more desperation and it would have been more emotionally satisfying. Yeah, and just more logical because yeah. it doesn't work the way it is now. Yeah. Um, but just switching gears a little bit, so Raven has her helmet on. Um, she looks at kind of where their options are to go and six planets come up. So one planet is offline. Um, and, I mean, like, like we know it's Earth, right? It's Earth. Gotta it's got to be Earth. It's offline because either one, it died – or either two, like the the um, Allegius people and the Second Dawn t- people didn't want to go back to there. So maybe the Anomaly Stone is like deactivated there or, or what? I don't know. Yeah. Um, so there's five other planets. So let's count this out. So we already know Skyring, Penance, and Bardo. Mm-hmm. And Nakara. So we know those four. Right. Um, then there's one last unnamed one that we don't know. Um, and Raven has to choose a planet. They're, they're looking for Skyring, and they don't know which one it is because there's no labels in these helmets, which, like, 
really? These helmets can do everything, but it doesn't label the planets. Well, they, they mean, we, they wouldn't be called Skyring anyway. But doesn't matter. No, it would be called Penance. Right. They know what they exactly. know what Penance is. Exactly. But it doesn't label it as Penance either. So anyway, Raven chooses a planet at random, and she chooses one that looks decidedly not fun. Yes, <laughs> like, not fun. Out of all the planets that she could have chosen on that on that uh, grid there, she chose like the worst looking one. Yeah, it looked like a fucking ice planet. It looked like an ice planet. <laughs> Not a great choice, Raven. I expect more from you. <laughs> like, I very much would have chosen the fun, like, ringed planet because that looks fun. I want to see, I want to be on a planet with, like, a ring around it, you know? Yeah. See, I'm just, like, I don't, I'm very nervous about all of the planets. But, like, okay. But, like, just, like, theoretically, if you had four planets in front of you you had to choose from, mm-hmm. there were three without rings and one with one ring, you'd go to the one with the ring. Probably. That's the one you would choose. Yeah, that's, that's fair. <laughs> That's so true. I just call bananas on this whole situation. Yeah, I, I agree with you too. Gaia taking one for the team and offers to stay behind to warn the others and protect Maddie. And I'm like, yeah, I know you just don't want to go planet hopping. And like, I get it. That's fair, Gaia. I, 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 is this where you relate more to Gaia? Yes. Because for Gaia, I'm like, God, that really sucks. I'm so sorry you have no, to stay behind. Gaia and I are just fine sitting where we are. I don't need to go planet hopping. <laughs> I have no desire. I'm sorry. I know Sanctum sucks. Yeah. I know it sucks. But like, I, I'm not walking into this fucking wormhole. I'm just not. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Um, I want to have like a, a section every time Clark and Guy have a scene together. I'm calling it Clia Watch. Yeah, I'm into it. <laughs> um, I think it's important. It is important just because I'm still trying to figure out what the hell they're doing with it. Um, so Clark and Gaia like have a little exchange where Gaia's like, you know, go go bring them home, and um, then Clark and her hug, and then Gaia's like, we'll be waiting for you. Um, and I think if this were played in a certain way, this definitely could have been like a romantic longing scene. Like I, I could see Clark and Bellamy like having this same dialogue and it being like very charged. Yes. In <laughs> I, fact, we've seen this scene before we have with seen them this. many times. <laughs> but I like still, and I'm like not know if I'm just like watching it with Bellark goggles. I just don't see the actors playing this romantically and it could just be that they don't have that kind of chemistry unfortunately I don't know it's so true I don't I don't know either I mean I feel like Clark has established like she has chemistry Eliza has chemistry with like a lot of people yeah that's just like part of who she is as an actor is like she really works with whatever energy they're throwing at her and then she like and is is able to like sort of give it back she's just so beyond talented and I'm not saying that um Tazia. Tazia. Not Tazia. Tati. Tati Gabrielle is not talented. I think she is phenomenally talented. And I I believe, I mean, she's also sexy as fuck. So, like, I just don't believe that it's it's a, not about, I mean, like, they could have chemistry if they wanted to. I just also don't see it. Um, But I also have, like, the most baller colored goggles on the planet. So, like, I, I also don't feel like I'm unbiased. I don't like, know. I, I have to believe that I'm watching it as unbiasedly as possible because while I'm not like this would not be my choice I'm not necessarily as against it as you are like if Bellark isn't going to happen I'm kind of like mm, all right okay but I'm still just not feeling it yeah I don't feel it either and which it- is concerning to me if this is where they're going is like am I just never going to feel it <laughs> no I just don't think you're ever gonna feel it well, I, I mean, that, that's, that's the question is like, am I, are they wanting me to feel it right now and I'm not, or are they really not going in this direction? Because if they're wanting me to feel this, I personally don't think they're doing a good job with the, with the 
the writing and or the acting. Yeah. I mean, we saw um, from the scene in episode one, was it, um, that the scene between Clark and Gaia was written, in my opinion, pretty romantically. Yeah. But the way that the characters, the, the two actresses played it, just did not feel that way at all. And so I'm, I'm curious if they'll end up releasing this scene, um, if we can kind of see that dynamic again. For sure. And again, like, it doesn't take a Literally, it takes almost nothing for me to ship something. Dev was on that planet for, like, two seconds, and I was like, if only Hope was older. <laughs> you know? I don't ship them like this, but I could have. I really could have. Um, so I think with enough compelling evidence, I could ship Clark with someone else. I wouldn't like it, but I could do it. I just don't feel it here. Well, that's, that's why I'm saying, like, are they going to, like, put more oomph into it later? Or is this just going to be, like, are other people just seeing something that I'm not here? Yeah, because... that's a good question. And I, I don't know. Anyway, so. um, Another great zinger from Jordan. <laughs> Clark walks into the anomaly and he goes, Clark Cliff Griffin has officially left the planet. <laughs> Which I just enjoyed. Yeah. He's a goofball. That's He's a, he is kind of a goofball. Yeah. Um, I so so Gaia gets pulled into the anomaly. Um, I guess my first question is, who did it? Yeah. Who is the person? Because they had their helmet on. Yeah. Um, and where are they taking her? And also, I just got a great, I mean, idea. Um, that I'm gonna share with you right now in this moment. Okay. <laughs> you're you're hearing it live, guys. So. I feel like the person who pulled Guy into the anomaly was probably Meredith. Um, yes. But one small inkling, which I don't think it's necessarily true. What if it were Bellamy brainwashed? <laughs> oh, my God. That's not the idea, though, that I was coming up with. The idea is um, I think we are made to expect that Guy is being taken to Bardo. But what if Guy is actually being taken to that other planet that we don't know? Um and maybe that's, you know, like if that's where the shepherd lives, um, we know that this whole season has been about Gaia with this kind of like vacuum inside of her about like not having anything to believe in anymore. And like what is going to fill that like mm. hole, um, which I think could be interesting to explore in one of two ways, either her falling in with the shepherd, which I don't really want for her or her kind of becoming the opposing force there and like taking not control, but like leading the disciples into a better direction for the future. Kind of like taking the space that, that the shepherd will leave when one of them obviously kills him as they're going to. Yeah. Um, and like maybe that could be Gaia's new purpose is like, I love this idea. Yeah. I think this is really cool. Um, I definitely agree that I don't think she's going to Bardo and I'm excited to see I'm like you know I'm just so curious to see what happens because I truly was not expecting this at all yeah like, me I, either. I was like well guy is gonna stay behind and like it's gonna be kind of boring but this is this could be really exciting and now that means that Maddie has to hang out with her uncle Murphy <laughs> oh my god yeah and Indra. And Indra. Thank God. Thank <laughs> God that the babysitter is yeah. there. Um, yeah. So, again, if I'm watching this right, um, the Anomaly Stone on Sanctum is kaput now. Mm -hmm. That's a problem. Sure is. That is no bueno. I think, I wonder if Amori is going to be the one who has to figure this out because they've definitely been, like, building Amori up as oh. kind of Raven's um, protege. Yeah. And oh, with Raven gone, like, who else on this planet could figure out how to do this um, except maybe Amori. And I don't, I don't know if she could. I don't know. But she's the only one I can think of who could, like, even have the possibility to. Yeah, it's a great question. I'm just like, this is not great. It really isn't. It's bad. Yeah. 
very bad. And then we have Clark and crew stranded on this, you know, effing ice planet. And I'm like, this is why you don't go planet hopping with no supplies and no tools or no time pirate suits. Like, I don't feel bad for you. I just don't feel <laughs> bad for you guys. You did this to yourselves. I, it reminds me so much of the prison world on Smallville that I can't not remember the name of. Um, but it's like that cheesy kind of. Oh, yeah. What? It, and it looks like, like a diamond almost. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, the the prison world um, that's, like, full of ice-ish um, slash, like, ash. I don't know, like, it, like the way that, that they did the whole planet. Like, I get that they have limited funds, but I didn't... The I didn't, Phantom Zone? The Phantom Zone, thank yeah. you. I, I didn't think it looked as good as it could have. No, it looked not great. <laughs> um, but I did see where they were filming part of this um the, like some ice fields up in like um, northern Canada mm-hmm. and I think it could look really cool when it's not this big panorama of the planet you yeah, know when they're actually filming on location yeah on a green screen yeah so I'm, I'm excited to see um what this planet's all about and like what this planet's significance is um is this planet inhabited there's a lot of questions I have that we probably won't get answered until episode six probably not um but I'm ready I, I also love the idea that I don't think they're going to be on this planet longer than an episode. I agree. Um, but I wonder if they get split up after this. Oh, If, like, groups, like, accidentally or on purpose end up going to different places. And then they all have to do different things on those different planets and then ultimately come back together. Oh, my God. I don't know. That's very complicated. That's like too much <laughs> for me to process right now. So, okay. Whew. Great. Good. Be recap. <laughs> okay. Let's do. Let's talk about some stuff that happened in this episode. Alrighty. Um, let's start with the title meaning. I think I've already gone into this a lot, but I just wanted to highlight the idea of Hesperides and the Greek myth of the three maidens garden guarding the, the the garden with the golden apples. And I do like this idea of this little home on Skyring or Penance, but let's call it Skyring. Um, being almost magical having some sort of mythological element to it and that it despite (laughs) how you come there or like what your differences are you can't help but like being a family while you're (laughs) on this place and you see you see it with the three maidens Octavia Hope and Dioza in the beginning of the season you then see it again with Dev and Hope and even though there are only two of them I do think that's still very significant about how their relationship grows, like very much like how a garden grows. And you see it again with Hope and, and um, Gabriel Echo and, Echo. and yeah. Gabriel. And yes, Gabriel is, is a maiden in this <laughs> scenario. So And Orlando. Yeah. So um, I just really like this idea of it being something precious that they're guarding. And even though they think it's materialistic, what they're actually guarding is their home and their family. Yeah, that's beautiful. Oh, thank you. What was your favorite <laughs> line? Um, so this was hard because there were, number one, a lot of really funny lines in this episode, and number two, there were just a lot of really good scenes, but I actually had to go with one that was in the trailer, and it is uh, Meredith saying, you're the key to winning the last war mankind will ever wage, just because for me, this was what first excited me about the trailer um, and about this season. I think this opens up a lot of really um, fascinating questions that I want to explore. Um, and I just like that the the way it feels like this is setting up the end game, you know? Yeah, I totally hear you on that. I could not care less about this line, um, but I'm so happy that it does things for it's, you. It's not necessarily the line, but it's more about what the line signifies no, for me. No, I totally get that. Yeah. And I, I think it's 
like the way that you talk about it is exciting it makes me excited I just like don't give a shit about that's Captain fair. America that's fair all. what is your uh, favorite line um I'm gonna simplify I originally had two but I'm just gonna go with the first one um because after talking with you I, I agree and I, I rescind my earlier thoughts um so my favorite line is the one that Gabriel says when he's talking to Orlando and he tells him you know that's not a god it's just a man and weak men follow them um, and weak men follow their orders which again I just I thought that whole conversation was fascinating I agree um and I really liked it I did too it was really wonderful what was your favorite scene um my favorite scene was the dev hope montage at the beginning I mean, which the song that played over it and like everything that like just those like couple of minutes I legit cried same. I legit cried as I was watching it I'm like this is like the first five minutes of the episode I'm all I've never met this man before I'm already crying about it I 100% agree and if I have to be perfectly honest with you like that was my favorite scene too but yeah. just just to call out another one I also really loved that whole scene with Gabriel when he was force feeding Orlando vegetables I would um, agree that that's like the one of the strongest like verbal scenes in the show yeah I also think that um it was like the first time this season where I felt like they were getting into something that was really meaty mm-hmm. uh, and not just about plot. Yeah. Like their plot was serving a higher function in the overall season. Was it maybe serving a higher truth, do you think? I think so. <laughs> I think so. Um, and that was exciting to me. Yeah. So let's preview the next episode. So the next episode is 705, Welcome to Bardo. In this episode, Octavia gets to know a whole new world. And meanwhile, Murphy and Amori play make-believe. Great. So I'm definitely excited for the Octavia bits of it. Um, I'm still, I could honestly not care less right now about the Sanctum side of it. Sorry, Murphy and Amori. Oh, I completely agree with you. I mean, I don't think I'm alone in that, but I am soups ready to find out more about Octavia and what happened to her. <laughs> I'm soups ready to just be, I mean, I feel like we've been talking about Bardo forever at yeah. this part, point, and I'm just like, I need to know what is, what is Bardo? I need yeah. to know everything about it. I have like a quick theory that I just wanted to throw by you yeah. um, that I forgot to write into the show notes. So, um, so Bardo. So we think that these people are the Second Dawn um, group. Mm-hmm. My question is... In the um, title sequence, Bardo says, it says that its population is extinct. Mm -hmm. It makes me wonder if, you know, Gabriel seems convinced these are the Allegius three people. I wonder if the Allegius three people got there and somehow weren't able to survive. And so, like, the people who are actually there now um, kind of took over what Allegius three had already built but had like ended up dying because of it. Because like theoretically speaking, I'm just trying to think of the timeline. I think Allegius three would have gotten to Bardo before second dawn did. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering what the interplay is there because we do know that, what? or I guess we assume that the Allegius three mission went to Bardo as well. What if they were there and then when second dawn showed up, they M captured them and then assimilated them. You mean with second dawn and captured the Allegius? Yeah. Maybe. I mean, I don't I don't know how they like created this MCAP technology. Or maybe they didn't use MCAP. Maybe they just threw assimilated through them through normal t- t- tactics of brainwash. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. So I I'm, I'm, I just want to know what happened to Allegius 3? We're back to the question we asked at the beginning of last season. Yeah, what question. happened to the Allegius 3 crew? <laughs> Great question. 
All right, guys, that is our episode. If you would like to contact us, you can. You can email us at skycastcrew at gmail.com. That is S-K-A-I-C-A-S-T-K-R-U at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us at skycast, and you can tweet at us at our own Twitter accounts. I am at bperlman89. And I'm at Sarah R. McCabe. And that is our episode. So until next time, guys, may we meet again. May we meet again. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.